Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich. But you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. Congratulations. Your morning just got a bit classier. A media legend. A ferocious linebacker. A clueless producer. And you. Searching for a replacement window online? Visit windownation.com today. So raise a glass and act Accordingly, this is Bishop and Laurenitis. All right, let's do it live on a Friday edition of the program. Joshua Perry in for threes, as he has been all week long. How you living, buddy? I am living. It is Friday. I can't wait for the weekend so I can take a nap midday on Saturday or something like that. So it's all good. Is Is there a tune, a song that to you says... Thank God it's Friday, man. Mm. Like, is there, is there, like, what's a go-to jam for Joshua Perry? Chops, can you give me one too that that is that puts you in the mind frame that you need to set it off on a to, to, it's weekend time, kids. Put your feet up, enjoy yourselves. This is how we do it, Montel Jordan. <laughs> you can't help but smile when you hear that song. It's a great song. It's fantastic. You can't help but smile. It's wonderful. Absolutely fantastic. Fantastic. Chops, what do you got? Well, obviously Friday by Rebecca Black. Don't do that. No. Uh, <laughs> I would say, I, you know, me, I always get hyped if I hear any Van Halen song. Uh, Panama, Hot for Teacher. Yeah. You can even throw in like a Running with the Devil. Something off Van Halen 1 can even get me going. Yeah. Yeah. That that That's pretty good. It's interesting where you, you know, a lot of it is impacted by by where you are. Um, and And I think of... Born to Run is pretty good. That's uh, from Bruce Springsteen. It's something that I remember as a kid hearing a lot. Uh, probably my mom's a Springsteen person, so I, that was something that was kind of omnipresent. Um, another one um, from my time in the South was Dixieland Delight. Was one that if you were at a bar uh, in Tallahassee on a Friday, that was being played loud and sung too loud, and everybody sang it so it so it just depends i think kind of to where you are uh represent different things i was unaware of who that rebecca black person even was until within the last six months i missed uh how how did you come to find her yeah it's like a decade old now yeah (laughs) that's the question i don't know how i missed i don't know how i missed it a buddy of mine's like oh yeah this is this is this is what i you know when friday we got to play this i'm like boy that's awful it is. That's it's really awful. Absolutely terrible you is know, what it is. We really can't Gotta grab my bowl. Yeah. Gotta have cereal. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it's just delightfully terrible. Yeah. Um, so, yeah. That's all right. That's good. Um, so, look, look. We said it's there's, it's not that. If you have seen The Wire, the HBO series The Wire, there are a lot of combinations. There are a lot of uh, comparisons that and, and that you could draw between the drug game in Baltimore and the college football playoff committee. Sure, <laughs> it's, absolutely. They're not that different. They're not that different. Yeah, they're it's both a cartel. cartels. Yep. <laughs> <laughs> both cartels. They both want all the money. They both want their corners. Um, the the thing that's interesting that's that's kind of interesting to it is um you know the the college football playoff committee also wants to acquiesce to bowls 
So there's kind of that part of it. Um, and I don't know if that's maybe how the docs play in in season two of The Wire. I'm not sure. But there's there's the Bulls that are still kind of the gatekeepers for whatever reason. Um, but the news broke yesterday that we're going to get 12 teams. Yep. And we're going to get it pretty quick, probably by 2023. I, I like how they say wouldn't be adapted until 2023 at the earliest. No, that's because that's the quickest that they can do it. Yes, that's like, the deal. They're not going to wait to 2025. <laughs> they can't do it this year because there's enough time to get organized logistically. Um, but they will do it by 2023. It will go from four teams to 12. Uh, the official recommendation is a 12-team playoff. Uh, under the proposal, the field would be the six highest-ranked conference champions, hmm. six at-large selections. Hmm. Top four conference champs would have first-round buys if approved. This format would be adapted for 2023. So there's a lot to this. Um, let's just start with six highest-ranked conference champions. Yep. That one wears me out. Yeah. So so conference champions, but I'm guessing everybody that plays in a conference, obviously everybody plays in a championship game. Yep. So would that allow the AAC sure. to the, the be Mac. an automatic bid, right? Absolutely. Last year it would have been Mac. UC and the Chanticleers. Oregon, yeah. gone. There you go. Bounce them. Okay. So they would have been in. So they would have been an automatic. So uh, what that Charleston? Is that who that is? College of Charleston? Coastal Carolina. Who is that? Coastal Carolina. Coastal Carolina. <laughs> you said Chanteliers. I'm like, I can't even. <laughs> They're the Aqua team, right? You don't yeah. know the Chanteliers? Like, Come on. What, what is, what is, what is the a dogs? We need the dogs. I don't even know what that is. I think it's some sort of aggressive chicken. <laughs> Okay, here we go. Well, all right. no wonder. Well, I mean, you know how I feel about birds. Yep. Um, so, all right, so that team would have been in. Okay, great. That's fantastic. So, sixth, I thought that was interesting, that the sixth highest-ranked conference champions would get in, six at-large selections. Obviously, they're, I've seen a lot of stuff. Well, oh, they're going to get rid of a game. They're going to get rid of the conference championship games. No, they're not. They're not going to get rid of a game. They're not going to get rid of conference championship games. Why? Because follow the money. Yep. I make money on that stuff. Um, so those those aren't going anywhere. You're not going to get rid of They say, well, get rid of a non-conference game. Well, no, because when we play a non-conference game, we still put 103,000 people, or at least we sell 103,000 tickets yep. uh, to the shoe, and, and we're, we like that revenue. So we're, I don't think we will give that up. I think we'll just play this, and this will be what it is. And it, it, it's, it could be three more games. Um, so you're talking, you know, you, you win the Big Ten, you're talking about, what, a 15-game? If you win the national championship, and let's say you lose the Big Ten championship game, still make it as an at-large. Mm. You're talking about a 15-game season that ends somewhere towards the end of January? Let me think That's where this. you're at. Is that it? Why will 15? we not? I don't understand why we have to start this. Why doesn't this start in December? Why are we, why are we still taking three weeks off? The proposal is to take three weeks off before they play the, the semifinal, like the first the round. finals, right? Well, the I mean, they're going to finish yeah. the season that you're going to finish wild. the Big Ten championship. Nah, what they need to do is going to be early December. Nope. And then they're going to they're going to play the first games. Are going to be shouldn't do you know, it. that New Year's Eve. That's window. awful. It's awful. So you're going to sit for a month. Yeah, and and I'll tell you, like the the sitting for a month thing is miserable. There's only so much preparation you can do. Like those well, worse than that. Teams change. Yeah, they do. You're a totally different team. But it's like, like a, the, it's the bowl, you know, the bowl practice thing, like. And Urban was really unique with the bowl prep, and it's probably what a lot of teams do. But, like, we would go out there, and if it's 15 practices, for, like, eight practices, we weren't doing game plan install. We didn't even look at the other team's stuff. We were just, like, practicing football. 
so we could be a better yeah. football team. Like we were doing fundamentals and we were conditioning. We weren't like practicing Alabama's offense against what our yeah. defense puts out there because you can only do so much preparation for a team. Yeah. Like I don't I don't get that. That doesn't make sense to me. I just think they don't want to they're so convinced yeah, they're to not t- upset the apple cart yes, of the bowls and it. the process. Yeah. They're tied to it and so the 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 Gosh. first the, the teams who don't get buys, the eight teams who don't get buys, four of them will host games on their their home field. So mm-hmm. you're going to get games theoretically you would get you know, you could get a fifth ranked Penn State hosting whatever it would be, the 12th-ranked Auburn sure. in Happy Valley in January. Is that appealing? You know, I don't know. I, I think it would be cool, but, I you know, that so that's what you're in for. You would have had the next in, round, in this, 2015, you would ahead. have had number five Iowa hosting number 12 Houston. Right? You would have had number seven. Up. Well, it would have been seven versus eight in that situation. Who would situation. you guys have played? In 15 would have been Notre Dame. We would have had them. Well, that would have been as cool. a home. So you'd have been like, Notre Dame here, New Year's Eve. <laughs> that's, I mean, that's that's where you you would have played Notre Dame at, on New Year's Eve at the shoot. No, I'm sorry. I mean, we would have had we would have had North Carolina coming up here. Carolina at the shoe on New Year's. That would have been interesting. 2016. Yeah. Um, you get you get Western Michigan. Like that's a bad game. Yeah. Michigan yeah. would have so had Florida State yourself, though. That would have been interesting. Up in Ann Arbor. So yep. you say to yourself, let's say you're a kid who plays at Carolina. I suppose you'd rather be in the game than not, but would you rather have a week at the, in the, uh, you know, you pick it, let's say Fiesta Bowl. Would you rather have a week in the Fiesta Bowl in Arizona and, and play a bowl game out there, or would you rather fly up to Columbus and play on New Year's in the well, shoe? Knowing you're going to lose, you probably want to go to Arizona and get all the bowl swag and, and, get and pampered. do that for a week. Yeah. <laughs> Right. And, and then here's the other question. The Bulls were a, guys, the Bulls were set up as a reward. They're, that's that's exactly what it is. Like you, that's what they were. They were we, set up as a reward for the season. That's why we did we, not. We claimed national go. championships despite us in the '60s and '70s, despite us losing bowl games yep. because they would award. And we're not alone. A lot of people do it, but because they would award national champions before you played the Bulls. Right. It, I mean, like so, 2015, we played done. in a fiesta. No, nobody really wanted to be there, but that's a cool bowl game. Like we, we were, we were at the the Fairmont. Like mm-hmm. you talk about getting pampered. Like that was a really cool experience. Yeah. Let me throw this question out here for you. So in that scenario, you have Ohio State hosting North Carolina. So let's say Sam Howell's in that game, going to be the number yeah. one quarterback. Is he actually playing? Like, is there a chance that you could get? Well, if if he feels like they don't have a legit shot to beat Ohio State. And that was a situation where, in, I mean, you felt like Ohio State was one of the best teams that year, and just no lost the game to Michigan State on a bad night. Like, yeah, what what do you do at that point? Do you go out there one last time and risk it? I think that what they're hoping is is that, and I, I look, I think it can be all of these things. I can, I think it can be a desperate money grab, and let's let's not for even a split second try to minimize how much of a hit these programs took from COVID. Let's okay. not minimize that because it's a tremendous hit and you can't make it up overnight. You can't. There are budgets that are set and they were cleaned out last year. We can talk about television revenue. That's, that is a college football benefit for sure. And you can, you make a lot of money on that, but you, you also in college football, you're not just responsible for football. You're responsible for the other programs. Yep. 
And when you put a hundred some thousand people in the shoe, that pays for the other sports. So you need it. You need it. And it's gone. And they're trying to make it back. And that, there's no way that, that is not a coincidence that you're seeing this go, coming in in 2023 already. That is not a coincidence at all. So I think it can be a, a desperate money grab. I think it can be a little clumsy. It feels a little clumsy to me. This notion of, you know, top four conference champions are going to have first round buys, but then they will play in random bowl games in the middle of January in the semifinals, mm-hmm. you know? So what, what are you going to play the Rose Bowl like January 10th? Like, sure. is, is that how it's going to go? Absolutely. I, I Pasadena's guess. great January That's 10th. what they'll, right. Yeah. <laughs> but they're pretty locked into to January, to January 1. Yeah. They're pretty, if that's they're the pretty way it should about be. That. Yeah. Right. But it's not going to be. No, not it's in this not. model. So now you're going to be playing a conference championship game. Now you're going to play in the national championship game is going to be somewhere in the middle of January. Okay, fine. Um, and, and so that, that can all be what I, what I'm saying, clumsy, money grab, all of that. But it can also be this can't help but open it up to more teams because you're going to get that one shot. Now it might not be glamorous if you're Western Michigan coming to the horseshoe. On New Year's Eve or New Year's Day, that might not be that glamorous, but you're going to get your shot. You get your shot. And I think that it will keep more teams in the game. I don't know. There's a lot of criticism about, okay, will this minimize the regular season? Uh, maybe to a certain extent, but it, it already has been. It already has been minimized. Um, there was a t- I'm old enough to remember a time where if you lost once, you were done. Sure. Because there were so many teams that would go undefeated. With conference championship games and conference expansion, that's really not the case anymore. How many perfect teams does Saban have with all the national champions? They've lost. I mean, he's not won the SEC and won a national title. Auburn beat him the one year, and they still won the national title. Sure. So, you know, they, there's more teams will be involved, um, and I, I think that will be cool. Um, but I think I think twelve's clunky. Yeah. And to me, it should have been eight. To me, twelve seems a little clunky. I think it's disproportionate to give four teams a buy. Who's going to select? What are the four highest ranked teams? How are you going to tell the difference? And by the way, they put conference champs. So if there's an upset in a conference championship game, how are you going to manage that? Which those don't happen that often. Usually, those are blowouts. So there's they, a lot of questions. There's a lot of put, questions. They got to they got to put the computers back in this. We talked about that earlier in the week. But I would agree. I think the computers yeah, help clear that up. But I, the the six conference champ auto bid thing is what really kills me because you know they were going through some of the scenarios on Twitter and you get a situation where you get the number 17 team in there because they won the MAC or whatever, and you're leaving a team that would have finished in the top 10, 11, 12 out so you can put 17 in why is that yeah that's a great point like it's it's not every year that cincinnati's ranked eighth no it's not like why why does that make sense why is that you're gonna get a team ranked on 21 21st 22 yeah you might get something you know (laughs) northern illinois ranked 23 losses yeah what if there's an upset in a in a conference championship game oh my god what if a four loss you know, then what do you do? What if there is? What if Cincinnati's undefeated, but they get drilled by SMU in the conference championship game? Well, it's really unlikely that the four-loss team is going to be one of the top six conference champions. But they're like no, Oregon true, wasn't this year when they got the upset in five. Right, but there's you're going to have a power a non-power five conference champions getting in. 
What if they don't have six conference champions ranked? I don't know. There's a lot. See? I mean, it's clumsy. It's clumsy. There's another part of this. We're going to get to this in the 11 o'clock hour, um, and it, it pertains to Notre Dame. And is this a hammer for Notre Dame to say, well, we got to get into a conference. We'll get into that in the 11 o'clock hour. Continue our list of most interesting college football teams. Rutgers on the slate. Yeah, Rutgers. Greg Schiano is getting it done sure uh, is. In, in Jersey. Is it sustainable? What can he do? We'll find out. Go through the night in the NBA and NHL. We have a new coach for the Blue Jackets. Get to that in about 10 minutes as well. And a, a really brutal day for Michigan football yesterday and the legacy of Bo Schimbeckler. We'll get to all of that. Pretty loaded up on a Friday. Bishop and Laurinaitis right here on The Fan. We know everything about you. We know you love the Buckeyes. We know you love the Jackets. We know you're wearing a red shirt. I just freaked the hell out of someone. The Fan. If you say something with confidence, then you can't be wrong. I don't don't, don't even know. This is Bishop and Morinitis. And brought to you by our great friends at Window Nation. If you're in need of search and replacement windows, check them out at windownation.com. They'll take care of you the way that they take care of us at 866-90-NATION today. It can, it can be both, can it? It can be both that it's a shameless money grab and that it will make for a more interesting end of the college football season. I don't know. I have a lot of issues with it. I think it's clumsy. Um, I have I have issues with I think you have to be, you have to worry about too much college football. We are used to, we found this out in the last year. Uh, we are very used to our sports happening at certain times of the year. Mm-hmm. Are people going to be into college football in the middle of January? We will be, sure. But will the sport, the, will the casual sports fan be? Or at that point, will they have moved off of it? I mean, you're going to be competing with the end of the NFL regular season. You will be competing with NFL playoffs, first rounds, because they're going to 17 weeks. So they're, they're pushed back a week, so it buys you a week. Um, but January's NFL. And for a hundred years, we've been, we've gotten used to as a sports, you know, consuming society to college football being done around the first of January. Yep. Thereabouts. I guess. So my, I think my, there's a, a risk to, to run there. My deal is like the Outback Bowl, for example. Pretty good bowl game. You're going to get a Big Ten team and an SEC team. How many casual football fans are tuning in for that? Like, you're nobody's searching ESPN to to find that. No. And and that's what the expanded but playoff becomes, on. in my opinion. They are on. And, and that's why right. it makes sense. They're on. It's a New Year's Day. They're yeah. on. You're, everybody's off. You're recovering from New Year's Eve. It's kind but of part of the I don't think that's something do. that you plan around, though. Yeah. Like, I'm not planning around the Outback Bowl. I, I have to watch it for my I job. Agree. And I Unless enjoy your team's it. in it. Yeah, but you're not planning yeah. around that. Well, those bowls, like all of those second-tier bowls, will be irrelevant. Yes. And a lot of those, you mentioned the Outback, the Outback, the Gator, the Citrus, um, all of those bowls. Those are pretty good bowls. I mean, that's, they, that's pretty that's good That's what the expanded experience. playoff is, though. Like, those, those that but first those round of games, games those are the second-tier games, though. Right. In reality. But those games are gone. They're gone. they're not going to be played there. No, so those I'm, 12, I'm saying. The 12 teams that are in this... I mean, you're going to be talking like some but of those that's the caliber of game is what I'm getting at. Five loss, <laughs> like who's buying tickets? Who's sponsoring those? Well, there's somebody going to sponsor it, but I don't know how many people are buying well, tickets. I mean, you see the sponsorship sell, for man. some of these games that nobody goes to, but somebody's making money on it. Well, as long as ESPN will broadcast them, it, that's the deal. Got to broadcast them. 
You Somebody's gotta, going you have to. to make the black go away, and so yep. that's you know on the television. That's that's the focus. Also, the bull um, games are the top eight. Remember that because the other games will be at home sites, right? And that's, that's what, what I'm, I'm getting at. Right. Is, so you're is only going to have that, four. You're going to have four. It'll be the Cotton Fiesta, Orange Rose, and Peach. So those will be the five, right? So the top eight will play. Uh, you know, once you eliminate the first round, then you'll have the quarterfinal. I'm doing yeah. So then you no, then you're at semifinal, then court, then that's it. So you, those those five games will represent the semifinal and the and the championship game. Do we have that right? Do I have that right? There will be four games if in I the second round and two games in the third round. That's the New Year's Six. Then there's a title game after that. So this is actually four weeks now. I I skipped a week. Here we go. So but what also I'm the NFL at, is going to 18 games by the time this rolls around, probably. Yeah, gosh. So what I'm getting at is. Those games played right, on campus so let me, just are so, basically. Now my head's in a. It's Friday. It's been a long week. Let me yeah, let, yes. let Uncle Bo sort this out. We got back <laughs> issues. I had no workers show up today. <laughs> Talk to Oh no! Oh no! They gave you a little bit of hope and they snatched it away. They no, went they, back to hell. The, it was even worse than that. They were here at seven a.m. like mm. to get work in, and then the boss man showed up and called them on to another gig. Ugh. And then they're like, "Well, we don't have enough bluestone." So then, yeah. I, then I see a forklift with bluestone, yep. and it's just sitting here. You, you know, you know what it was. Install it. They called him on to another job. Somebody wrote a bigger check than you. That you have to keep that in perspective. When when you when they leave your job for another one, yeah. there's one reason why they do bigger that. Check. Yes, is yeah. is their money was a little bit yeah. more convincing than yours. Yeah, I guess that's what happened. So that's where we're at. All right. So the first round, it's teams five through twelve play at home sites. Okay. Mm-hmm. Right. Do I have that right? Correct. So that will put us down to eight teams. So those eight teams, that represents four games. Those four games will be at bowls, correct? And those will take place January 7th, 8th. Then those those eight teams get paired down to four. Those games will take place January 17, 18. Then those four get down to two, and that will place January 24th. So you will be competing for attention and eyeballs directly with the NFL in the national championship semifinal round, and this will go to the end of January. I was missing a week. What a shame. I was missing a week. It's been a long week, boys. So my point in all of that is those first games on campus, in my opinion, start this in December, is like tuning in to the Gator, Outback, etc. You don't plan around that game unless you have a reason to plan around that game. Yeah. Wild. Absolutely wild. Um, all right, last night, and we'll, we'll have much more on this in the 11 o'clock hour as well. Last night in the association, just an absolute rock fight as the Bucks beat the Nets. Mm-hmm. What's going on with Giannis? He got a he got a free throw violation. Sure, where I mean, it takes 12 seconds to shoot a free throw. Airballed. Uh, there's there's <laughs> another play where he's just dribbling like the clock out. I don't know what's going on. He still had 30 and 14, but he took 31 shots to do it. Uh, but the Bucks do win and, and get that done out west. Utah takes a two-zip lead over the Clippers uh, with a 117-111 win. Um, and the Stanley Cup final, semifinals are set. The Lightning hosts the Islanders. That starts on Sunday. And then Vegas, uh, which is, you know, you just feel good for the long-suffering fans of the Vegas Golden Knights that, you know, in year three, they are in the conference finals again <laughs> as an organization. They've already played for a Stanley Cup. Wow. Um, and, boy, you take great umbrage, don't you, with yeah. the head start they were given. Now, they paid a lot of money for yeah. that franchise, but holy smokes, what I mean, a head start. We had to take somebody... our time here in Columbus to, to oh. make it to the playoffs. 
Yeah, they, I mean, they played for the Stanley Cup year one. And I saw somebody say, about? I think it was Barstool tweeted out the electric factory that is Vegas. And I'm thinking, well, why wouldn't it be? It's all they know. Yeah. I mean, the first year they play for the Cup. It's sure. fun to play for the Cup, right? <laughs> like, how hard's that to build a fan base when you're playing for the <laughs> Cup right away? I mean, that's pretty this is very easy. true. You know, it's kind of like what happened with Oklahoma. People go, oh, Oklahoma City's a great basketball market. Well, is it? I mean, the first, the only team they had, the first team they had, they got Durant. Harden and Westbrook in their prime. They played for a good. championship in like year two yeah. in Oklahoma City. Yeah, I bet it is good. That's that's good. That's that works out pretty good. It's not like you had to suffer through anything. Um, tonight, uh, NBA continues. Philly and Atlanta early, and then Phoenix at Denver in the late game. Coming up next, a new coach in the is lock, stock, and sealed for your Blue Jackets. He is Brad Larson. Um, what does it mean for the franchise? What does it mean for the direction? And a little bit later on, the allegations against Bo Schembechler are quite significant. We get to that as well. Bishop and Laurinaitis right here on The Fan. The undisputed leader in talking about nothing. Common Man and T-Bone. Weekday afternoons from 3 to 6. The Fan, Ohio sports destination. It's Bishop and Laurinaitis is What's Up? What's up, man? So Sponsored by your Central Ohio Honda dealers. All right, here's what's up on a Friday. Introductory press conference in about an hour uh, over at Nationwide for Brad Larson. He named as the new head coach of your Columbus Blue Jackets. It's a three-year deal um, for him to take the job. He's been here a long time, last seven years as an assistant. I saw some quotes from Cam Atkinson that goes all the way back to AHL, so they've been around a long time, knows the team, certainly knows the culture that's here. Um, and also, and, and this is important, um, also will be somebody who can suffer through what will be a very tough stretch in franchise history. What do you mean and by suffer through? They're going to lose a lot. No, I mean, but like somebody who can suffer through. What do you mean by somebody who can? Somebody who is okay with it. Okay, he's going to have to be sure. Somebody who will will. If you go hire somebody who has won, mm-hmm. if you go hire somebody who has doesn't have a whole lot of time. For you know, certainly a veteran coach, right? You know, let, let's go win a cup. Yeah, there's, there's a reason John Tortorella is. There's a lot of reasons probably why John Tortorella is not here. But among them is this is not going to be a contender. It's not going to be a playoff contender. It's certainly not going to be a, a, anywhere in the vicinity of a Stanley. This is a complete rebuild mm-hmm. that is going to happen here, and and I'm for it because I think it's necessary. But it takes a certain type of person to do that job. And sure. it's a different person than you would hire if Seth Jones was coming back. It's a different person. Like if this team still had Pierre-Luc Dubois, Josh Anderson, uh, Artemi Panarin, Seth Jones was locked in, signing an extension, and it just didn't work with Tortorella. They felt like he wasn't getting him over the hump. Well, that's a different coach. Right. That makes now you're going to go hire a coach who can go win a cup. Let's go win a cup. Right. But th- that, none of those guys are here or won't be here soon. So what you're what you need to hire is somebody who is patient, someone who believes in culture and the culture here they like obviously and and everything that you heard was that they love the culture that Tortorella he was like a one man culture mm-hmm. so that will continue with Larson um and and somebody who can who can keep their heads up through the losing teach through the losing because that's what's going to happen here um and it's going to be a long haul and you're going to have to keep you're going to be a little bit of a cheerleader, right? I mean, that's what this signifies. There was, and I think we all knew we were headed here. Once once the Seth Jones news came out, honestly, mm-hmm. once John Davidson came back, right. uh, you're headed here. 
Um, it's a long haul for fans who have been through a lot, mm-hmm. but I think the ones who, I think the ones who know hockey know that this is the only path forward, pal. Right. No, it makes a lot of sense, and, and you're right about the personalities. Like some coaches don't have the the tolerance to kind of you know go through that, and some coaches, like you said, they don't have the timeline. Like they, you're you're in win now mode. It's interesting uh, coming from within as well because we we talk about the the Blue Jackets and the city of Columbus and how sometimes I don't think people understand what this city is and what the organization is. And so when you have somebody who has that level of continuity, you can definitely play to the the upsides of everything that's going on. You, you're familiar with exactly what you need to do in order to build this thing into something successful. That's why it was important bringing JD back too. Yeah, yeah, it's... It's just a different, it's a totally different mindset. And when you hire somebody who is excited for their first shot, there's going to be an energy that comes with that. And in a way, I think it's the perfect hire because you get a combination of somebody who knows what was done here correctly, Mm -hmm. knows the culture that was put in place uh, with Torts and then before that with JD and Yarmo, but also is probably thrilled to be a head coach in the National Hockey League and to get his shot sure. with guys he knows. And there will probably be, for the guy, the young guys who are here who are impressionable, there will be a pretty good give-a-damn level based on wanting to make this work for him. Sure. So all of those things work. This this is going to be a slog is what it's going to be. This is going to be knee-deep in the muck for a while. And um, – I, I think it's the only path forward. And I, if you're looking for, it's not as simple or straightforward. Um, but the and you say simple now because it worked. But I think if you look at what the Browns did finally when they went one and thirty-one, and they said, you know what, we have been picking fourth and fifth and sixth and taking Johnny Manziel and Brandon Whedon and as much as I love him, Brady Quinn in the twenties, in the twelve, all of that. Yep. Like we've got to go down to the screws, man. And they did, and they went one and thirty-one. And what did they do? They picked number one overall. You know, and you know what happens that... when you pick number one overall. Now that it's a lottery, and it's right. it's not apples to apples because in the NHL there's a lottery, and and you don't have luck. The Red Wings have tried to do this; they haven't been able to pick number one, um, and and so you know there's lottery luck that goes into it. But they've take they're going to have to take it down to the screws, mm-hmm. and they're going to have to start over. And if if you do it right, I think it's the only way to win here, because before. The ceiling kind of was what it was, and as great as that was, we were the eight seed. We weren't the two or the three seed. Hmm. You know, we were an eight, and we had a historic upset of, of one of the greatest regular season teams of all time. But we weren't the two or the three. So the Browns took it to the screws. They got a sure thing in Miles Garrett. They got the pick of the litter of the quarterbacks, and you could argue Baker versus Josh Allen. I think Allen's probably the only one I'd take over Baker right now. Sure, of that group. Yep. Even though Lamar won the MVP. Um, so that that's what you do. And that's where they have to be. And Larson can steward that. And he can suffer the slings and arrows that come with it. He can take on the losses. And he can attempt to keep their heads up. That's that's the job. That's what the job's going to be. And I do, I'm behind it. It's not going to be fun to watch. Won't be. <laughs> you know, not going to be fun to watch. No, but it's going to be, it, it's, be tough, it's, but... I think it's the only way forward, and I think it's the only way to really build a contender because what you have to do, the thing that they weren't able to do the last time is they weren't able to get the contracts all lined up to where everybody was in 
like imagine if Panarin had two more years on his deal, right? And he had a couple more years. What if he had to come back? Then maybe does he buy in more? Maybe you would hope. Maybe, maybe. So you know you're going to get a press conference at ten thirty, and you'll get you know some clarity. It'd be good to hear him. To me, this feels like a good hire uh, for where the organization is right now. I won't know it the way that. Certainly, that Porty and some of these other guys do, who are in NAR, who are closer to the situation. Um, but everything I've read, this seems like the smart move at the right time, and and I think it's an acknowledgement of what's coming. And buckle in a little bit on that because it's going to be going to be some choppy waters over the next couple of years. But if done right, and the one thing you can say, Yarmo Kekaline is pretty dang good at identifying talent mm-hmm. and developing it and drafting it. And if they can do that correctly and get these contracts to line up. And you can get a big haul for Seth Jones, which you should. If all those things happen, you can build something that's fun at least, even in losing, that's fun to watch over the next couple of years and hopefully build to something that's more sustainable. That's that's the objective uh, for the organization here over the next couple It's a big objective, but it's it's one that, that they're going to try to set off to do, and I think this hire kind of signifies that that's where we're at. A, uh, a very troubling day at the University of Michigan yesterday and another giant in college football, and some incredible allegations. Um, and we talked about this a little bit yesterday. I don't know how to, I don't know how to navigate it, guys, and I'm sure they don't either. We'll get into it coming up next. Bishop and Laurinaitis right here on The Fan. Buckeyes, jackets, hard-hitting talk, and Rothman saving dogs. You know, just a typical day at a sports radio station. The Fan, Ohio's sports destination. D drinking responsibly with a touch of class. Bishop and Laurinaitis. Well, Bishop Joshua Perry here with you on a Friday. Um, we mentioned this a little bit yesterday. The press conference was yesterday as well uh, up, at, up in Michigan with uh, the allegations of Bo Schembechler's son, Matt, a strange son, Matt. Um, his son, Shemmy Schembechler, who I know a little bit, lives here in town. Um, he had some quotes on this as well and debunked uh, the comments that were made. Um, by uh, his brother Matt, estranged. Um, but it, it wasn't that that I found uh, most troubling. Although that is troubling. What what I thought was really remarkable in this was the um, the testimony of Giovanni Johnson, who played at Michigan um, in the late seventies and early eighties, um, and said that uh, in the early eighties rather, and said that they would almost tease him, like if you didn't get right, we'd make you go see Dr. Anderson. Mm. Um, and that was a that was an incredible accusation, um, that this was something that was almost laughed about. And honestly, I'm of an age where I could see that. I could see it too. I could see that being like a you know, a funny thing. Like, oh yeah, you be careful. He's a little touchy. Like that it's you know, I could see that. And that seems crazy now in the year of our Lord twenty twenty one. But that 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 really checked boxes for me. Yeah. Well, I'm not super convinced that it's necessarily crazy in 2021 either. I, I feel like we're we're definitely more aware of it, but it, like that type of thing, I feel like is something that could potentially go on now, which is wild to say. Yeah. Yeah. So Michigan has then dealt with the. Uh, I mean, it's it's a borderline impossible task of how do you deal with this. Now we've seen this before, um, and they, you know, people at Penn State would say, you know, that they had to deal with it there. 
uh, because they are forever. You go to you go p- to Penn State, and they're forever defenders of of Joe Paterno. Mm-hmm. Forever. I mean, this was this was a situation at Penn State where. Uh, the, a lot of students and fans and supporters were gathering outside of Joe Pa's house in support. Yeah. You know. Yeah. So he there's all sorts of images of Bo Schimbeckler on the Michigan. I mean, he's a giant. Mm-hmm. You got a statue. He's there, Woody. Yeah. You know, he's there, Woody. Yep. And I don't know how you do it. I don't know what you do. My, I've seen this. I feel like I've read the book before. And my guess is that Bo Schimbeckler will be removed at the University of Michigan. As painful as that will be for some up there, yeah. um, these are allegations of former players. It's one thing to dismiss you know, uh, a son who's been estranged, who has sued Bo, right. and sued the university before. You can dismiss, sure. dismiss that. Um, I don't know if you can dismiss two former players. Yeah, and I guess the, the deeper layer of that, in my mind, is these are two people... Two former players who came forward, but how many people, because of trauma or because of how they view their masculinity as just a male and a football player, have experienced that same thing and will not come forward because they don't want to either relive that trauma or have their masculinity challenged in public because they went through something like that? That's the other question you ask. Sure. Is like, we'll, we'll, I said it yesterday, like, we'll never know the the answers but like this situation could be more than what we know right now it could be less than what we know right now yeah and the thing that is hard about it is there is in this situation there is no pound of flesh no to get because everyone's gone yep they're all gone they're all dead there's there's no way to make it right you can't question Bo about it you can't question anybody who knew who was in those rooms who was in those meetings anderson's dead there's nobody there it's just like our thing with Strauss. Like, there's nobody. Everybody who was involved is gone. Mm-hmm. So there's no. How do you get retribution? Financially, you can get retribution, and that maybe that's the objective of the people that are involved now is to finally make it right financially, um, and and to to make them whole for the suffering that they had. This stuff happened in the late '70s and early '90s, allegedly. Um, this is widespread mm-hmm. with with this Dr. Anderson. I don't know what it was about. You know, school doctors in the seventies and eighties that led them down this road, but to have it to have it here and there, yeah, that's it's wild, wild to me. It's absolutely wild. Like you can't even wrap your mind around what was going on and the power dynamics that existed there. No, and that is actually one of the things that Matt Schimbeckler, the estranged son, says. He says that for Bo, it was power, mm-hmm. and he alleges that. His, his hypothesis was that Bo had this on Anderson. In other words, and even is quoted as saying, if you don't clear my player, I'm going to fire you because I've got ammunition to fire you. Mm. So he used it as power over Anderson. That's the allegation that Matt Schimbeckler is making on his father. That's a sick situation. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And I, again, you you have to acknowledge Matt Schimbeckler has an axe right. to grind. Yes. No question. Yep. But And that's why I brought up the the... That's why I brought up the, the testimony of the former players. Sure. Because that, to me, you got two former players, and what Johnson said specifically was not only incredibly troubling, but also something that was, boy, you can just see it. Yeah. You can see it. You can yep. see it. That type of talk, that type of locker room talk, that type mm-hmm. of locker room threats. I mean, I certainly never saw anything quite like this growing up, but I could hear coaches saying things like that. 
Sure. You can. If you're of a certain age, th- this was something that was scoffed at, laughed at. You could see it. I mean, I could see this happening. So it uh, doesn't mean it did, and there's no way for Shem Beckler to defend himself. He's been gone a long time, and Anderson's gone. So Michigan's left with this mess. Yeah, and I would imagine probably too, that he's too the most prominent. Word. Oh my gosh, it's not even near <laughs> enough. And the, and how do you how do you make it right? How do you how do you rectify it? What do you do with his image all over campus? Mm. I would imagine his name's on that campus more than any other name. You're probably right about that. Him and Fielding Yost, which by the way hasn't been great for him the last few months. Yeah, it's a bad deal. <laughs> you know. Yep. You know, I tell you, when I was, I thought about John U. Bacon, who we've had on a lot. He's a great friend. And he's fantastic. He's wrote, written books with Bo. You know him as well as I do. He's just mm-hmm. an awesome guy. And it, it's too close to home for him now, but we'll have him on in the next couple of weeks and try to see if he if he's willing to get his thoughts on this because he was as close to Bo as any media guy I know. Mm-hmm. And and just try to get a feel for how Michigan navigates this because it's it's really brutal and your your heart breaks. For those who were impacted, and Kwiatkowski, Johnson, Matt Schimbeckler, what they're alleging is incredibly troubling. And if they're coming forward, who hasn't? Right. Who hasn't? So it's <sighs> tough. Yeah. And it's and I, you know, again, where's the pound of flesh? It's you're not going to get it. You're yeah, not going to get it because everyone's gone. Yeah. And that's where you're at. Um, we got an introductory press conference for new Blue Jacket head coach Brad Larson. That'll come up at 1030. We're going to have some audio of that for you in the 11 o'clock hour uh, of the program. We continue our breakdown of the 20 most interesting programs in college football for 2021. Rutgers? Yeah. Yeah. No kidding. We'll get to that coming up next. Bishop and Lauren is right here on The Fan. The best, best in, in the, the Midwest. Midwest. You're listening to Bishop and Lauren Yeah, the Larson introductory press conference here in about a half hour over at Nationwide. We'll have some of that for you in the 11 o'clock hour. Uh, first time head coach, thrilled for him, thrilled for the family. Been in the organization a long time, uh, but obviously a signal that a long rebuild is what is uh, we're uh, we're going to be undertaking here, and in in what is just as critical an off season. The get back for Seth Jones is going to be. It's got to be big. It's got to be very, very big. Um, and so we'll have that for you here coming up in about an hour uh, from now. We continue our breakdown of the 20 most interesting programs heading into the 2021 season. And I will, <laughs> for first, full disclosure, say that in a, in, if you would asked me five years ago to list 100 programs that would be on a list of 20 most inter- interesting programs for 2021, this one wouldn't have made it. No. This one would not have made it. Um, and, and I would argue still that this was a mistake for the Big Ten to bring in Rutgers, that it was a mistake, Um, that Maryland was a mistake as well, and that while there is a television draw out there in the initial phase of the Big Ten network that was going to allow for a cable buy in those markets, that in the long run, once we get away and it becomes on demand, which is what everything's going to be, the conference would have been better off getting A-list football programs, and that it would have been more beneficial to, for example, go after Oklahoma and Oklahoma State mm-hmm. in Kansas and Missouri, let's sure. say, if you want to pair them all together with rivals, that that would have been more beneficial for the strength of the, of the conference. And if you're looking for proof of that, you can look no further than the SEC, mm-hmm. where there really isn't a media, major media market anywhere, and their rights will always go for the most. Sure. Right? 
I mean, they, they've been doing a bargain deal on CBS. That's over. ESPN's not getting a bargain anymore. Um, so when they get that, when that deal gets finalized with ESPN, you see the money on that. My guess is that'll succeed, even exceed the Big Ten deal. And why is that? Well, it's because they have really good football. They mm-hmm. have people who really care about football. Yeah, football drives the bus. Sure. All of that being said, and I don't come off of any of that. I don't. This is the perfect storm for Rutgers to be interesting. And there's a lot of factors, Joshua, that lead to this. Um, it starts with Greg Schiano returning as the head coach at Rutgers. Yep. He built it before. Mm-hmm. His relationships in the state in recruiting with the high school coaches is flawless. Yes. Flawless. And there's trust because they know what he did before at the program. So that's a big part of it. And I'll lay it out, and then and I'm going to get you some thoughts from you in terms of, of kind of the pecking order here. So that mm-hmm. to me, that's the, the start of it. Then the second thing that happened was Penn State's in a little bit of a lull. Sure. At, coming off a tough recruiting year. Um, Michigan is in a big lull. And they're yeah, recruiting they for reasons beyond – they're recruiting New England, for God's sakes. They're not yeah, even let's go get a guy out of Vermont. I mean, so that's what they're doing. So their plan is a fail. Michigan State fell off a cliff. Um, and so Rutgers has this opportunity here to kind of make a little noise in their own area in New Jersey where there's a lot of talent. So that's a part of it. And the other part of it is the Big Ten money's kicking in. So facility upgrades are coming sure. and all of that. So all of those things have led to what we see in recruiting, which is a, a program that right now, and we're a long way from finish, but right now is recruiting in the top six or seven in the country. Yeah. In the country. Yeah. At Rutgers. Yep. It's a unique situation, but we've talked about the proximity to talent there. Um, when you can go into the DMV and when you can go into Pennsylvania and, and you can go into Ohio and Michigan and get guys, um, it definitely benefits you. And then the other thing that Shiano's doing there is he has found out how to give guys a second chance out of the portal. And it would always be interesting when I'd be prepping for shows for BTN because you look down the roster and all the guys who were going to be kind of like their standout guys were transfers from Michigan or transfers from Wisconsin or a transfer from Nebraska. Like you're getting guys who did not have success at other schools who are willing to buy in to what he's selling. And, And he is a big culture guy. And I think that's part of the reason why the thing works, but he has found a way to increase what they've done in high school recruiting while also finding the right guys out of the portal. You got a guy from Ohio State, Brendan White, who was the MVP mm-hmm. of the Rose Bowl to transfer to Rutgers. Like, that is that is what he is doing, and that's dangerous. I mean, think about that. Yeah. Think about that. What if... Let me play a quick what-if game with you, and then we'll get back to Michigan and, and, and Rutgers, and you were talking about culture. What if Greg Shiano would have been hired at Penn State or Michigan? So I think Penn State is the one that is the absolute natural fit because he had been there before, and I think he absolutely would have just wrecked it there, and, and that would be scary. I think he would have had a ton of success at Michigan, but I also am not sure if he would have – like he. I, don't, I still don't think Greg Shiano – coaching Michigan is beating Ohio State year yeah. in and year out. 
I think at Penn State he would have had something just because that's that is where he's comfortable. That region right there is his sweet spot. If James Franklin would have taken, you know, a job that was offered, and I don't know if any of these Texas. jobs there's always there was always Texas and USC were ones yeah. that you thought were you know that he was kind of in the mix for. But if he would have taken one of those jobs and they would have hired Chiano, and is Kyle McCord here? Is Julian Fleming here? Well, you would hope that those are the guys that he could keep, and I'm he I'm willing to, to bet those guys, and I'm willing to bet he could do it. Yeah. I kind of am too. Well, and here's the other thing with him that I think we don't talk about enough. He wasn't successful in the NFL, but he's got that background too. And recruits listen to that. I think that's honestly like that's what works for Saban in a way because he's obviously it's an NFL factory, but he's got a lot of ties to NFL guys he coached there. It's the thing that works for Ryan Day. I coach quarterbacks in the league. You know, it's that would be the thing, a difference for him too. Where you can get some of those top tier guys is like, hey, I've I coached an NFL team, I know what it takes. I can get you there. Yeah. Oh, for sure. And he's incredibly engaging. He is. I mean, he is he's he is wonderful. the leader of men. Yep. <laughs> you know, he is a you know, schematically you can have issues certainly with some of the stuff that was done around here, and I get it justifiable. Uh but boy, um I, I gotta be honest with you, that from a from a culture building standpoint and this will be critical for him is the culture building part of it man yep. because when you look at what he's doing in recruiting what he has to make sure is that he keeps the guys yeah he has to make sure that he keeps the guys so you look at the new guys coming in here you mentioned the transfer and he's got two guys from temple uh, he's got a carolina transfer coming in uh, in the secondary he's got two four-star defensive recruits yep elijah clark and Kahari Banton, two five stars, one a corner, another a linebacker, who are coming in to play for him. Four stars. Now the question is, will will he, and I think he will. I asked the question, but it's rhetorical to for me at least. I'm curious what you'll say. I think that he'll be able to convince those guys that they are part of the oaks that the program will be built on. Yes. I don't think they'll transfer out because what you have to worry about. We talked about this in Indiana. What you have to worry about is we find a diamond in the rough. And then all of a sudden, Ohio State needs a corner, mm-hmm. and they see Elijah Clark, and they go, "Hey, man, we're we're CBU, we're DBU. Mm-hmm. Come here." And then he bounces. I don't know if you'll be able to pull that on Chiano. I don't. No. And it was wild watching the the buy in because the guys when they would do like post game, they were speaking the same language that he was speaking. They were talking about all of the culture things. It, it, like I can't remember who it was. It was one of their cornerbacks, but he had a huge game. And after the game, they were asking him about it. And he said it was a locker room full of guys that were dejected before Shiano got there. And all they did was go to work and believe in each other and trust one another and just grind. And that's why they got better. And then you watch Greg Shiano after one of his big wins. It was toward the end of the year. And Coley Harvey's on the field doing post game with the coach. And it's, you know, like you have to do it. And Coley asked him two questions. On the third question, Greg's answer was, I just want to go celebrate with my guys. Like his job, he feels like nothing is more important than supporting his guys. And I don't know if you get that everywhere else. And I think that is the difference of what he's building there is everybody knows what's important in that locker room. And that's a dangerous thing. And in the best teams, we talk about culture. I, I say it every time I'm on this damn station, but uh, the culture wins every single time. Every single every time, time. And that's what he's doing. It's undefeated. Yeah. 
And I'm, I'm looking at so so right now he is the the fifth best recruiting class in the country at Rutgers. Um, he has four. He has five four star commits, including uh, quarterback <laughs> Gabe, uh, Gavin Winstead. Well, uh, that's the uh, difference, Kentucky, and that's, that's the, big the difference. One. So, what do we always go to? Do you yep. have the quarterback? And he does. When you look at this offense that they have right now, you got the guys listed on there that are returning. Bo Melton, very good wide receiver. I believe he's a, a Rutgers legacy, so he obviously cares. He played really well. Aaron Cruikshank is a guy who played at Wisconsin. He was like mostly a returner, super fast guy, can do anything with the ball in his hands, electric player. You've got Isaiah Pacheco, who's another electric guy. He would rip off some of the craziest runs. And the issue that they had was uh, Johnny Langan, who was a guy who was like just terrible at throwing the ball. He could run a little bit. He was a tough dude, just Mm -hmm. a bad quarterback. Um, And then Art Sikowski, who I think transferred to Illinois, who was just another not very good quarterback. And you look at some of the offensive skill and the weapons that they have, and we saw it. They got a couple of plays on us with some of those skill guys. The thing that has been missing, and it's the thing that holds back a lot of college teams, is when you can get a quarterback in there and a four-star guy, is exactly what they need. It changes the complexion of the program. It's it's a game changer. So if if that if he's good, then the momentum can continue. By the way, how much fun was it to watch what he tried to do against us last year? It was awesome. I mean, he he came he into that game every trick that was the game plan. Pull. It's like our right? whole playbook is open. We don't give a damn. If it yeah. works, that's fantastic. If it doesn't, we'll just go back to the next one. He did literally. He sold out. and Sold out. There are a lot of coaches who are scared to do that, especially against an Ohio State. It's like, okay, let's go in there, and let's try to keep it close. Let's not, let's get, not embarrassed, get embarrassed, Joshua. Let's not yes, get embarrassed. that's the deal. And his, he was like, no, nah, let's go let's try to win this thing. It. Let's try to win this thing. Let's see if we can make this as interesting as possible. And we don't know if it'll be close at the end, but let's try and go and win this thing. Let's not worry. What difference does it make if we lose 49 to nothing or by two scores? Exactly. You're losing no matter what. There was no keeping it close. Him? There was no Mm-mm. let's, 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 you know, let's save face and clock. not look bad. It was, no, all right. He's faking punts. Let's, let's throw it scores. to an cares, offensive man? lineman. Step him off the line of scrimmage, toss it to him and score a touchdown. Like let that, that was their game plan. It, that's the difference. A lot of, a lot of hey, coaches buddy. would not do that. And you know this. That stuff, because they executed that stuff. They did. So what's that take? That takes discipline. It does. It takes discipline. To execute trick plays takes incredible discipline. Yep. Because it has to be practiced, it has to be pulled off, and they did it. I was incredibly impressed by them. What can their ceiling be? What can you build there? We'll get into some of that coming up next. James Cratch going to join us at the bottom of the hour. Bishop and Laurinaitis right here on The Fan. Season ticket holder from day one, us two. Now and forever, your flagship home of the Columbus Blue Jackets. The Fan, Ohio sports destination. It's first Friday somewhere. That's a big sense of freedom. You're listening to Bishop and Laurinaitis. Bishop and Laurinaitis right here on The Fan. Hit the categories on the Rucker Scarlet's Nights in a second. But before we do that, the Signature Cabinetry Fan Golf Classic presented by Delta Den of Ohio and Logan AC and Heat Services takes place Monday. Royal Kinsale Golf and Fitness Club. All benefits the Buckeye Cruise for Cancer and the James Cancer Hospital. Register your foursome now at 971thefan.com. That will be a fantastically fun day uh, to play a little golf and hang and, and enjoy things, certainly. Um, all right, time to hit the categories on Rutgers. 
And let's start with question number one. Favorite Rutgers player ever, Mr. Perry. All right, so i got to preface this by saying, just for the football, Ray Rice. (laughs) Right. (laughs) He was unbelievable. I don't want to get in any trouble, but he was just amazing. Yeah, he really was. Um, And he was great in the pros, too. And um, and he was. The McCourties were great there. They don't Mm -hmm. have a a ton of of great players. Um, I I will just say for a little tongue-in-cheek, Jackie April Jr., uh, the the, the adopted nephew of Tony Soprano, um, Meta Soprano's boyfriend, he was... All that Tony wanted him to do when his dad died was to go to Rutgers. And, and Jackie April Jr. was on the right path, but the Soprano, Soprano family business was just far too good for him to, uh, to ignore, and it did not work out well for Jackie April Jr. Um, in the end. A little spoiler alert for those of you who have not seen The Sopranos. It does not work out well for Jackie April Jr. Uh, best team Rutgers ever had? Yeah, I think we got to go with the, uh, the 06 Scarlet Knights. They, That's uh, the squad. Yeah, I mean, 11-2. and two, They peaked at number seven in the polls. Mike Teal playing quarterback did a, a fantastic job. Ray Rice uh, was on that team as well. I think in the uh, bowl game that they played, he was the MVP. I mean, just uh, a really, really good football team, and I think that's what we remember Greg Schiano for. Brian Leonard was a really good player on that team as well. Um, they, they were good defensively. McCordy's were on that team. Um, they benefited. Miami was gone at that point out of the Big East. I think Virginia, Virginia Tech was gone too. Uh, Louisville, if memory serves, won the, won the conference that year. Uh, but they did finish 11-2. and two. And it's interesting when you look back, they really the momentum was still kind of there after Shiano left. Mm-hmm. Like they still had some winning seasons, um, and then it started to fall off with when they went to the Big Ten, and then Chris Ash it, it really bottomed out under Chris. And he's a, he's a great dude, but just was not that just was a job that was foreign for him certainly. Um, stadium grade for Rutgers. Have you been over there? Oh man, SHI Stadium, formerly known as uh, High Point yeah. Solutions, had played there. Uh, I think one time. Um, so I've got family in New Jersey. That's where both of my parents are from. So when I went there, it was really cool okay. because um, nobody's families were traveling. So I just scooped up a bunch of tickets from my teammates. Um, and I could hear everybody <laughs> cheering for me because the stadium was absolutely empty. Uh, stadium grades got to be like an F. What about that cannon, though? Oh, it's bad. Yeah, it's, it's miserable. <laughs> it's, look, what are you going to do? It's not great. It's not great. <laughs> and, and if we go to the next category, BMOC grade, it's going to be in the same right now. Yeah. doesn't mean it won't be good at some point, but right now I would think, you know, I don't know what's important on the Rutgers campus. Have you been They've to that campus good before? good at basketball in the last couple of years. What's that? Have you been to that campus before? No. No. So I have there's, not. No. There's basically like trip. a major thoroughfare that divides the campus in half. So you essentially have okay. to, like, cross over a highway. Um, to get from one side of campus to the other. So it's actually a miserable setup. Like 315? Similar, yes. Like that so, type of a highway? Okay. Yes. Miserable setup, just from that standpoint. And then uh, for a long time, your team has been the bottom of the bottom of the bottom of the barrel. Uh, cannot imagine life on that campus as a football player. But you're close to yeah. New York City, yeah. though. I don't... 
Well, and we'll get to that if we recommend going, because I think that's, you know, that's part of it. Um, yeah, I, I can't imagine it's good. I would imagine it's D. I don't know if you are. Are you a big man on campus when you play football there? I, you know, I don't know. I don't know how important it is from the looks of it. It doesn't. But so why, why is it a D so rather like than an F? chicken before the egg. You know, why why'd you put a D instead of an F? I just hate failing people. Oh, not me. I want to give a little hope. No, sir. <laughs> if it's an F, it's an I'll F. I'll tell you, to be fair, it's it's probably the lowest graded of any team we're going to do. Right? I'm sure I mean, it would it's got to be as bad as any. Is it any worse than Indiana? Like, do they care more about football in Indiana than they do at Rutgers? I don't know. They seem yeah. similar. Sure. But again, I've not been to Rutgers, so I can't. I can't. But yeah, I would think it would be about, it probably does feel like an F. Uniform grade for the Scarlet Knights. Yeah, so this one was interesting because I, I didn't hate when they had the Nike contract. I actually thought those uniforms looked pretty good. Um, and then they transitioned to Adidas. And I'm just not a big fan of a lot of the Adidas uniforms in college football in general. I love the color scheme, yeah. so they get a little bit of a bump off of that. But I'd put them in probably like the C- minus range. Yeah, I went there too. I mean, I think they have some elements you like. I think red and black always works. You're going to have a sword. You got knights. I mean, all that stuff kind of works that you can play into a little bit. Um, it's it's a you know just from a non non knower of the area perspective, you know why Rutgers? Why not New Jersey University or you know whatever? So like that you got that that always has to be explained. And ambiguity stinks. Um, but I think it's it can be a clean look. Yeah, I think it can be a clean look. And I think so. You know, so it's, I'll jump it's in on this average. one though. It's not the, there's far worse. Is a lot of the teams that are like they don't have the big apparel contracts. They only get to wear black cleats. Like they don't have the option of doing colors and stuff. And so the one thing that always I think takes away from the look is that those guys are typically wearing black cleats, and it's just kind of ugly there. Yeah, yeah, that, that this could be a good point on you. Uh, do you recommend going? Overall, no. If you want to make a trip out of it and you want to go into the city and do that thing, I don't think it's a bad situation, but that's probably the only attraction. See, I, I like Jersey in terms of, like, I, I was in a, I in a wedding once in Morristown. Um, <laughs> it's like the garbage can of the United States. I think there's, some, I think there's some incredible food there. I think, like, Mo, I've been to Montclair, been to Morristown for events. Uh, Hoboken's fun. Sure. And you get the city. Like I think from a from a Buckeye fan perspective, like if you're going to make a weekend out of it, I'd rather go to Rutgers than West Lafayette. I'd rather oh, go to sure, if, if, if absolutely, I'd rather go to Rutgers than go to Bloomington. But like, Rutgers isn't the you attraction. Know, at least I can do the city. Yeah. No, no, no. Of course not. But that's what that's what I'm saying. Like, if, if would I recommend going? Yeah. But I wouldn't necessarily stay in Piscataway. Is well, the no. way that I would do that. If the, program this, ceiling, the program go ceiling ahead. was an interesting one for me. So, you might call me crazy by saying this. I think there is a path for them to finish number two in the East and be one of those, you know, like New Year's Six or an expanded playoff type situation. Who knows what the deal is. But I I think they could get there. I think the program ceiling is to consistently be the fourth best team in the Big Ten East and every once in a while be the second. And when it lines up and you have it right, you can do it. But I would say that whatever the program ceiling is, there is one man who can hit the ceiling, and it's the man they have there. Mm-hmm. And that's more than I can say about damn near every other program in the Big Ten East. Or maybe the – you know what I mean? Right. Like, can anybody do better than Tom Allen at Indiana? That's how I feel about Shiano. And I think 
There's nobody else who could do it. He's he's a one-man army on hitting the ceiling at Rutgers. But because he's there, because he's got energy, because he's young enough, they can hit it. And I don't know if you can you can't sure as heck apply that at Michigan. You can't apply that at Penn State. I don't think you can't apply it at Michigan State right now. I don't think I don't think you can apply that at Maryland. You may be able to apply that at Indiana, and you can apply it here. But you can't apply it at many other places. Nope. So he will hit the ceiling, whatever it is. Would you buy stock and get it cheap right now, three and six? Absolutely, I'm buying stock. Yeah. I believe in in Shiano. I believe in what they're doing there. You've seen like right away. You saw the improvement. It's only going to go up. They're going to get yeah. It's this is a this is a cheap stock to buy now, and as long as he's here, as long as he's there, they got a chance to be interesting. Uh, James Cratch will join us on this front. Covers Rutgers for NewJersey.com. We've had it on before. He's very very good. He'll join us coming up next. Bishop and Laurenitis right here on the fan. If the fan were a baseball team, Morning Juice would be our leadoff hitter. A leadoff hitter who's slow and hits lots of homers. Weekdays starting at six. The fan. Two men complaining about first world problems. You're not getting the point, kid. This is Bishop and Laurinaitis. Well, Bishop and Joshua Perry filling in for James this week on the program. Press conference going on down at Nationwide right now for the introduction of Brad Larson, new head coach. We'll have that uh, of the Blue Jackets. We'll have that for you at the top of the hour. Some of the audio from that. Uh, a lot of players currently there, including Patrick Laine, Jonas Corposalo, Elvis Mers Lincolns, Cam Atkinson. So that's good to see. Good support from the organization. Um, we are breaking down the 20 most interesting programs for 2021 in college football. Number 16 in our list is Rutgers. And for perspective on that, we're joined by our good friend James Cratch, Rutgers reporter for NewJersey.com on the Brian Heating and Cooling Systems Fan Guest Hotline. James, that is not a sentence that I thought I would have said three or four years ago. 20 most interesting programs in college football, but all of a sudden Greg Schiano is there. They're killing it in recruiting. They played a really interesting game over here, sprang some upsets last year, and all of a sudden there's momentum. What's it been like from your vantage point? No, there's definitely been, uh, believe me, like a massive change for even 2019 covering this team when there was no one in the stands, there was no hope, to here we are now where with the, this is going to sound crazy, but with the expansion of the, the playoff yesterday, there are Rutgers fans thinking, can we legitimately someday get into the 12-team playoff? I think that's way far off in the distance, but that just kind of goes to show you that there's a an energy and a confidence and a belief that they really haven't had here in a long time that this is going to get to the point where they can be a nationally prominent program and be a prominent program in the Big Ten. You kind of alluded to it just talking about where the program's at, but we all agree that Greg Schiano's the right guy to be running it, and Bo and I, in the last segment, we're kind of talking about program ceiling, where we think this thing can be, and we're pretty optimistic about what Rutgers can be as a program. Where do you see the program ceiling, and how long do you think it takes to get there? You know, I've always thought that Rutgers should kind of aim to be Northwestern in the sense that you're in a bowl game every year, and you're going to have those years where you contend for the division title, and, you know, you go win 10 games. I think it's tougher to do it in the East than the West. I always kind of say, if you're Rutgers, to win the East, you need to have your best team ever. And, you know, in Ohio State, Michigan, Penn State are all down. That's something that's not necessarily going to break as quickly as you want it to, or it's much easier said than done. But I think that is their ceiling. You know, I think a team that can win, be in a bowl game every year, win eight, you know, seven, eight games every year, and then there are going to be years where you push nine, ten, you contend for the division title, you contend for a New Year's six bowl. You know, I don't think that they're ever going to get to the point where they're like Ohio State, where they're basically a top five recruiting class every year, and it's playoff or bust. But I do think they can get to that point where every year they at least are going to a bowl game and they can 
conceivably contend for the division title. You know, James, it's interesting. Joshua asked you about the ceiling. And and I, I to me, and you'd know it far better than me, to me it feels mm-hmm. like a list of one who could get the program to that ceiling, and they just so happen to have the guy. He's done it before. Yes. And, and from my vantage point, his credibility in that state and the belief that that state, and again, outside looking in, appears to be beyond reproach. And, and, and can you just speak to that a little bit? When, when Greg Schiano walks into a room in New Jersey and in that area, what does it mean? It means everything. It, it's really – New Jersey is kind of a funny place. It's a very provincial place in many ways. And I think that you really saw that, especially with Chris Ash, just never got the – you know, and it wasn't from a lack of effort necessarily, just never connected with New Jersey. And I think Greg – Greg can walk into any school in the state, and it's an event. You know, one now that you know recruiting's getting back to normal, he's there. You know, I, I think Greg is a guy who he knows what buttons to push. I think he understands the psyche of New Jersey fans. He understands how to leverage the state, the relationships. You know, to, he understands that this is a this is a pro sports state region. So you need to have a little bit more to break through the Yankees, Mets, Giants, Jets clutter. I think he understands that. And I just think it's really uh, it's a sense that, as you said, the credibility he has from the first tenure here, he is selling something where he can prove it has happened. I mean, a great example, I think, is that when the, with the next couple of years, we know there's going to be a scholarship crunch with the numbers and everything. He is, I think Rutgers and any other program, they're going to have to bring in quality kids as walk-ons. They're going to have to level with some kids, you know, three-star kids, hey, you're going to have to come here for a year or two, and you're going to play your way into a scholarship when we have more flexibility. Well, Greg has, I believe, seven or eight cap- walk-on captains in his past, and most of them played in the NFL. So you can go sell that to kids. Not just say, hey, come here, work hard. I, I'm telling you, you're going to get a chance. He can say, go talk to Sean O'Hara. Go talk to Gary Brackett. Go talk to Mike Burton, the fullbacks of the Kansas City Chiefs. They, can, they did it. You can do it, too. You talked about that psyche and that mentality, and it's something that's definitely transferred into the locker room as well. And, and as I look at this, as much as it's bringing in talent and everything that you said, it's been a lot of a culture build, too. And mm-hmm. you see the moments where the players talk about what the locker room was like in 2019 versus 2020. Can you speak a little bit to that culture build that Shiano's done there? Yeah, it's been a, a tremendous, you know, I, I think the best way I look at it is just look at them physically. You know, you know, Kenny Parker was at Ohio State, back at Ohio mm-hmm. State now, it's with the strength coach. He's a guy who has been around the national championship programs. He clearly knows what he's doing. But this team looks so drastically different from a physical standpoint, I think, because of obviously Jay Butler, the, you know, Greg's right-hand man. But the culture, it just seems like there's more of a buy-in from the team. You know, I think in recruiting, they're, having, they're bringing, you know, number five class in the nation right now, 2022. They are so selective, you, you know, when Ash was here, Rutgers was offering 400, 500 kids a year. Greg, I think, offered maybe 150 for the 2021 cycle. You know, and he's bringing in a higher level recruit. I just think there's a they're very focused on culture and the right fit at Rutgers. You know, I, Greg always says that Rutgers is not the place for everyone. Uh, he wants the guys who want to be at Rutgers. I think in the past that's been an issue where they've been chasing recruits who don't want to be at Rutgers. All Shiano does is look for guys who want to be at Rutgers. Uh, it's it's a, it's an exciting time, and and I'll get you out of here on this one, James. Mm-hmm. Um, when you when you have somebody 
and and it this isn't a surprise to us. I mean, we had him here, and and I've long yeah. att- like Tennessee should have hired him. Um, mm-hmm. If if Penn State if if Franklin would have taken the job at SC or Texas, Penn State should have hired him, and that will come again. Do you think that Greg has has planted his stake at Rutgers, and that this is the job to finish? the career at or do you think he would be interested in other things because you always wonder will we ever lose him again i do not i think he he's not going anywhere you know i think that you know the tennessee stuff i think i always i felt that when when this job opened in 2019 this was the one place where greg could kind of go to be a head coach and confident and run his own show and Rutgers knew this was the one guy that their fans would accept that would excite the grassroots community in the state and that could build something here. I think Greg's here for the long haul. He's got an eight-year deal. Uh, he's only in year two of it. You know, I think that yeah. once the pandemic's passed us, I think they're going to get the new facility built. I think there's big dreams he has. He wants to win a national title at Rutgers. Now, I think that's a great goal to strive to. I, I don't know if it's definitely going to happen, but I think that they're going to push toward that. So, no, I think he is here for the long haul, and, you know, you know, he's not as young as he was when he got the job the first time, but he's still a relatively young man. So I think he could be here for a while if they continue to build this and kind of go in the right direction. I I, I hope so. Uh, I think it'd be great for the area. I think it'd be great for the program. It'd be great for the Big Ten. James, excellent perspective as always. We thank you for your time. Anytime, guys. Thank you. All right, that's James Cratch covers Rutgers for NewJersey.com. Can I can I get in list on something real quick? Next week? Go ahead. Yeah. Um, sure. yeah. So we 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 talked about Indiana a few days ago, and mm-hmm. uh, you know we had the Indiana representative on here. It, it was this feeling mm-hmm. of we're we're getting there, but I don't necessarily want to say what we can do. It felt a little bit less confident, and then just hearing the confidence that's instilled in everybody who's around that Rutgers program, it's its something really special going on there. I'm t- I agree. I agree, and I think it's sustainable. And if I'm Michigan, I'd be going, wait, what? Yeah. <laughs> you best watch out, man. Yeah. You best watch out. Like, Rutgers can catch you in a second. They're not that far off. They're not. He didn't stammer or stutter. They have the fifth best recruiting class in the country right now. Yep. They won't stay there, but they'll probably finish in the top 15 or 20 mm. at Rutgers. Wild. I mean, Scott Frost ain't doing that. No, he's not. No. We hit thing or not a thing up next. Bishop and Laurinaitis right here on The Fan. If you miss a Buckeye game, it's because your radio is in tune to the right place. Always and forever, your home for the Buckeyes. The Fan, Ohio's sports destination. Sports talk distilled to its purest form. You're listening to Bishop and Laurinaitis. All right, time for a little thing or not a thing. Chopper's here on a Friday. Hit it, Chops. Bishop and Laurinaitis. Thing or not a thing. Sponsored by Geico Insurance. We made it to Friday. 24-7 sports. Chris Hummer calculated how many teams each conference would have had in the playoffs since 2014 under the 12-team format. Numbers, Big Ten 20, SEC 19, ACC 12, Big 12 12, Pac-12 11, AAC 5, Independent 2, Mountain West 1, MAC 1, Sunbelt 1. Thing or not a thing? Well, I think what the biggest thing that jumps out is Independent 2, meaning Notre Dame just twice. You know, would have made it. That's surprising. It my our numbers just don't surprise me because while we don't typically have a bunch of teams ranked in the top five or six, we typically do have several between one and twelve. 
So that doesn't surprise me too much. I'm a little surprised the SEC number is not a little higher. Um, but that you know they all it's top heavy there too. Yeah, you know where they tear you know, each other. Three or four up. teams that win all the games. Yeah, yeah. Um, Pac-12, bad situation there. But I'm I'm with they you. Got a lot I, of rebuilding. They got oh, well. They brought in the right guy for commissioner though, because they got to turn that thing into. You know, entertainment. They got to capitalize on the TV dollars, and and he's done a ton of deals there. Uh, but I'm I'm with you in terms of the Big Ten. Like we see it every year, and we do decently well in bowls. But we'll have teams that are you know right there eight through fifteen. It's just you know one through eight. What are we doing? Yeah. Friend of the program, John Kime, passing this along from the football team practice. Rivera says he's looking forward to seeing how Taylor Heineke pushes Fitzpatrick this summer. Fitzpatrick goes in with the edge, but they've been pleased with TH development. Thing or not a thing? This is not a thing. It's nonsense. But it's also something that Rivera likes to do. You know, a lot of coaches just like this. You know, they like to throw a carrot in front of a young guy. Obviously, Fitzpatrick's going to quarterback that team, and they'll probably either draft or sign somebody in free agency next year. Uh, But Rivera is there to win. And he's there to create excitement. And if you look around that division, their defense is frightening, frightening. Mm-hmm. Yep. And they, especially their front, and they're, um, they, they've got some weapons. They got our guys there. Terry's there. Curtis Samuel's there. I mean, it's it's a it's a fun team. I tend to agree with exactly what you said. I'm excited to watch them. That defense is going to be nice. But at the end of the day, we know what the quarterback situation probably looks like. Fitzpatrick is fine for now, uh, but they probably do a little bit of damage there. Mets first baseman Pete Alonzo thinks MLB tinkers with the ball depending on the free agency class. Quote, the biggest concern in MLB is MLB manipulates the baseball year in and year out depending on free agency class or guys being in advanced part of their arbitration. Thing or not a thing? That seems categorically insane that they would do it on that. I think it's, it's fair to question the manipulation of the baseball year in and year out, and they could tinker with it, and that very well could be. But the idea that they would do it based what's he alleging then? That because if there's guys... If there's a bunch hitters, of hitters, then they make it harder to hit. If there's it, a bunch of pitchers, they make it easier to hit. <laughs> that would be That's quite the accusation. Yeah, I um, kind of don't care, so... Yeah. Not a thing, then. <laughs> <laughs> That's one of the options. Ohio State landed a graduate transfer kicker from North Carolina this week. Noah Ruggles comes in immediately eligible with two years left. Thing or not a thing? Well, was is this the kid who I saw a video of this week at like 60 yards? Yes. In, at Carolina, that's him? Well, that seems like a thing, then. And, and this, you know, this is a kicker, but it speaks to what could be a bigger, what I think could be a bigger thing is guys go to second-tier programs and are developed and gotten better and then bounce and and come play at, at big-time schools on the transfer. Now, he's a grad transfer, so it's a little different, uh, but I do wonder if this there will be a steady stream of this in the future. I think there will be. Um, I don't think I've ever told my philosophy on specialists, but uh, I have a strict... Okay. No scholarship specialist philosophy. Um, straight out of Saban, I don't okay. need a kicker. I'm scoring all touchdowns. Like, if it comes down to a field goal at the end, then we just weren't good enough to win the game anyway. 
Two more for you. Julio Jones isn't worried about sharing the ball in the Titans. Quote, at the end of the day, you want to create a winning culture. However you need to do it, you have to get the job done. My whole career, I've never been a stat guy. I'm a team guy. Whatever they need from me, I'm going to do, and I will enjoy playing my role at a high level. Thing or not a thing? So by by definition, I'll say not a thing because this backs up everything I've ever heard about Julio Jones. That he's not a me guy. That he does do what's best for the team. It just so happens that what's best for the team typically is the ball in his hands. But that he he's not a me at all. And so none of this is surprising based on things I've heard about Julio Jones in his career. Yeah, I think that's kind of the deal there. Is It's really easy to not be a me guy or not be a stat guy when you know you're the guy who's going to be getting the ball anyway. You know, but I, I yeah. think this offense now becomes uh, really intriguing with the run game, obviously the way that it was. But now you got some legit weapons and threats in the pass game, and a quarterback that I like too. So I'm here for it. Last one. I just wanted to share this Russell Wilson quote from his latest presser. Quote. I've had a great career here so far. I've always wanted to play here for my full career, obviously. I think there was some unfortunate frustrations after the season. Obviously, you want to win. You want to win it all and do it all and do everything you can. I think everybody on our team does. You want to win it. And I think, unfortunately, I think it got a little blown out of proportion a little bit. Thing or not a thing? What a nonsense answer. <laughs> How many obviouslys? Do you have like three uh, obviouslys in there? I think, I think, I, I think. I like the a little, a little blown out. out yeah, a little, a little bit. bit. <laughs> that was the best you part You blew right it there. out of proportion, Coach. Sure. You're Absolutely. the one who did it. You did it. You're oh. the one who gave him a list of teams. Like, yep. You're the one who created it. You blew it out of proportion. Yes. Um, he's great. He's not good. He's great. He's great. He wasn't great the last half of last season for reasons beyond anything that I can explain. Um, but they're a Super Bowl contender. And where the heck was he going to go that's better? I mean, when I saw that list of teams, it was like Chicago, the Saints. I'm going, are any of those spots better off? Now, he'd be good with the Saints, get a lot of weapons. But is that that much better off than Seattle, where he's been? I think that was Not a part of much. the unfortunate frustrations. Where are you going to go? Yeah. Yeah. That's it. Did you ever play against him? Uh, well, I was in training camp with him my last year in the league. I'm trying to think of if we played against them. I don't think we did. What did you make of him when you were in camp with him? He's great. First day in yeah. the locker room, comes up, knew by name who I was, introduced himself. Andrew Luck did the same thing, actually. Uh, two really great yeah. guys, but I mean, he's fun to be around. Yeah. Yeah, he's a dude. He's a hell of a football player. We'll tell sure you that. Is. Um, and I like they, they were so fun to watch the first half of last year. I don't know what yeah. happened. Um, all right, you'll hear from new uh, Blue Jacket coach Brad Larson coming up here at the top of the hour. His press conference at ten thirty. Get some thoughts on that. Hear, hear from uh, Kirk Herbstreet on the college football expansion up to twelve teams. And a big question that comes out of this now that we kind of got some of the logistics sorted out, although not all, is is this force the hand of Notre Dame? We'll get into that. Bill Bender at the bottom of the hour. Final hour on a Friday. Bishop and Lauren is right here on the fan. All Buckeyes. All Buckeyes. All the time. The Buckeye Show. Weeknights at 6. Your flagship home for Ohio State Athletics. The Fan. Ohio's sports destination. A linebacker and a man of leisure. This doesn't even make sense. You're listening to Bishop and Laurenitis. Well, there you heard it. In the update from Timmy. Brad Larson being introduced. And uh, you heard some sound there from, from Coach Larson. Um, we have some audio. Let's see if we can pull this up. Chopper, uh, let's see. I'm getting to it. Let's go ahead and play that one uh, of, of Larson. 
Oh, it's that same one. Okay, we don't need to play that again. No need to run that back, pal. Yeah. <laughs> I just got your email going, Larson sound, then I see there's one kind of in here. Oh, yeah, that one. We don't need to hear that again. Here, here's what Brad Larson means at 43 years of, of age. And, and by the way, I think it's a great hire. It's a fantastic hire. Um, and if you're looking for perspective on what it means, I encourage you to read Porty and the Athletic because he broke it all down. But the, the, the simple, straightforward truth is this is a three-year deal for a 43-year-old as a first-time NHL head coach. This was not. This was never going to be a coveted job, guys, because it's a rebuild. It is a rebuild. It is a down-to-the-screws, start-from-scratch rebuild. I think that is what is required now because I think when John Davidson and Yarmo Kekalainen took this job, they probably thought that's what it was then. And maybe we were a little better off than they thought, and all of a sudden we make the playoffs – Win around, then you go all in, and I think they should have. Historic upset provided the best moments the franchise has ever had. Gave a hell of a scare to Boston in the second round. Created some buzz. Was the thing to do around town. Checks a lot of boxes. But now you've reached a point where that path is not going to elicit anything other than a desperate chase for the eight seed. Mm. And that's not sustainable. It's not. Because that's not... In order for this to be what it can be, you got to make a run at it. You got to build something. You got to be like the Islanders are right now. Couple years in a row, get to the conference finals, win two rounds, back it up the next year, win a round. That's the way you got to do it. And so that's the path forward. And I think the only way to do that is to take it down to the studs. Larson allows you to do that. He's thrilled to be a coach. Joshua, from a player perspective, when I saw this press conference today and I saw Patrick Laine, Cam mm-hmm. Atkinson, mm-hmm. Elvis Merz-Lincolns, Jonas mm-hmm. Corposalo, mm-hmm. I say, okay, that's good. Yeah, That tells me that, 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 that this is what the guys who are here, and Laine especially, because he's the get-back for PLD, that he's for this. And you need him to be, frankly. Yeah. Absolutely. You got to win the locker room first. You know, everybody's as fans and as media, we're going to be tuned in to the press conference and you want to hear the coach say all the right things and everything else. So you have a good feeling about it. But what's most important is that the guys who are out there on the ice feel good about what's happened too. And so when you have that attendance right there and that type of support and you know that the players are bought into the decision, uh, which means that they're also bought into the process that comes along with that decision, it gives you um, a good feeling about the way this thing's going to go. And like you said, it's not going to be easy. It's not going to be fast. But when everybody is aligned in the same direction, that gives you hope that this thing will get back sooner rather than later. Yeah. And I, I think the people who, you know, the diehard hockey fan here knows this is what's required. And for Larson, it will be making sure that there is growth for the young players while maintaining the culture that Davidson, Tortorella, Kekalainen want. Mm-hmm. So that's the balancing act. Rema- maintain culture amidst losing and building, which is hard. It's hard. It is. It is. But that's that's what's going to be that's what's going to be required here. So um, I applaud it. I think it's a good hire, um, and especially considering what were what were probably the the options there a little bit. Uh, the big news yesterday: the college football playoff committee, which by the way they're not that far removed from saying we're never going beyond four. Mm-hmm. And now, not only do we not go, we don't go to six. No. We don't go to eight. Sure. We see the hell with it. Let's go to 12. And off the top of the show, I was even confused in terms of what that meant. I was doing the math wrong. I thought it was three weeks of play. No, it's four. Yeah, it's, it's four. I mean, it's, it's a, it's it's a, a little month. bit of a deal there. So going to 12, um, the details of it, the highest 
six ranked conference champions get in automatically than the next highest ranked teams. Uh, the six number's big because it takes you out of the Power Five, meaning that a the highest ranked non-Power Five team is going to get in um, as an automatic bid. So that can be a team that probably, that in some instances, might not even be ranked in the top 15 in the country mm-hmm. if they win a, a conference championship game. Um, that, that certainly could be, that's certainly logical to think that that could happen. Um, it maintains... The ties to the conference championship games. Why? Because there's money in them. Sure. Um, I don't think that there will be a give back on games. So I think, you know, if you're a, a player who plays, if you're the fifth seed and you play for the national title, you'll play 16 games, which is what they do in one double A. Um, but it's, it's a lot. It so a I, lot. I go back and forth on this notion of a lot because a lot of guys want to play in the NFL. And so, you know, 17-game regular season now, probably going to be more, and then you have the postseason. So there's a lot of games in there. And so it's not that the body can't handle it. But this is – and I'm glad that college football is changing because my biggest pushback on that is you're prepping for conference championship games and bowl games at the same time that you have to take exams. You have Mm -hmm. to stay on campus. You can't see your family during the holidays if you're playing in a bowl game. That's that is where I would draw the line personally as a student athlete is you're asking me to do some certain things that are probably incongruent with the mantra of student athlete. And that's where this increasing games thing becomes a big issue for me, not because of player safety and because bodies can't handle it. You can adapt and train to that. It's because of the fact that when these guys are supposed to be amateurs, then let them do amateur things. Amateurs get to spend Christmas with their family. No, you, you haven't been. You know this. I mean, it's, I know it's, you, we're so. I far know away you're paying it. We're so far away, and yeah. I do think that you're going to get to a point where um, that that you know it's it's the old Cardale Jones tweet. I came yes. here to play football. Exactly. That's what I came here to do. And and there, I think you're to a point where the major is football. You're not that far off from that. That you you don't have a tradition you don't have traditional majors uh, that we need to rethink. Maybe we do need to at the highest level rethink higher education for elite athletes. Okay, so maybe there's a responsibility to do that. Let me to, run on this because this is a conversation I've had before, and I'm very adamant about it. My older brother was a music major at Ohio State, and then went to uh, Cal State Long Beach to get his master's in music, and he's a musician. Okay. So that was his craft. It's what he did in his free time. That is what his education was based around. It's what he does to make money now. He teaches and he plays music. You cannot convince me that there shouldn't be a football or a basketball or whatever the sport is or just a general major that would encompass all the things that go along with, like, there's coaching, there is uh, cap management, there is recruiting. There is the business side of securing advertising. Like all those, there should be a Training. football major. Yeah, and 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 that's the deal for me. Is like physical physical therapy. It's I mean, the think whole of thing. all of the. It's all think of all the branches off of football, and it can be a legitimate major because right. sports is a big industry. We've seen. Yeah. You're we right. see it every day. Yes. So just let the athletes be like that's their major, and part of their credit is they go to practice every damn day. Like we, there's varsity credit where you can take a lower course load um, and still be eligible, still be a full time student. But like that should be a graded class, honestly. I agree. I'm not, I'm not going to get. Too I don't far have a single problem it, with it, and I do think we need to evolve. I do. Um, I think of you know even in my own. I remember in college, I did I, my whole last year. 
I was on air at the local CBS affiliate in Billings, yes. Montana, and I got credit for being on air. Yeah, and and that can be a part was, of it too. I can't remember the word that they use. It was like work study. I can't remember what it was, but it was some sort of a yep. a partnership where it said, "Look, this is clearly worth more than anything we can teach you." Yeah, right. You're on air. Like you're learning more doing that than anything I'm going to teach you in a mass comms co- class. Yeah, I mean, could could Jerry Emig be the professor of the uh, you know the 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 press conference basically? Like, can that oh, not sure. be a part of a curriculum? And you get yes. credit for doing that kind of stuff. And Absolutely. I think it's valuable. I agree. And I think that it not, does need to be rethought because the idea of you guys taking standard finals in December, and that gets to the other part of this. When you talk about four weeks, to me, this has to start. That first weekend of games on campus has to be before Christmas. It should. Because you want – what you want is you want that when you are down to eight – and those are four games at bowl games, you need two of those on New Year's Eve, and you need two of them on New Year's Day. Yep. Okay? So then that puts you into, you're really only a week past what you've been. But to me, you can't start this thing. You can't have the on-campus games being January, New Year's Eve and January 1. The on-campus game's got to be the middle middle of December. I agree. They have 100%. to. 100%. Kirk Herbstreet uh, was weighing in on this. Here's Herbie on college football's, con- college football's uh, playoffs expansion. You know, when we when we left the BCS and we ended up going to uh, to two from two to four, I was a bit concerned. And now that we've lived it and we've kind of felt it for a number of years, I think this is inevitable, and I think it's for the best. Um, I've kind of come full circle, to be honest uh, with you. I I really looked at this as something that Ohio State, Clemson, Alabama. It seems like every year we could sit here in 2021, 2022, 2023. Those three teams are in. Who's going to be the one team to join those three teams? I don't know how healthy that is for college football. You know, I, I, I just think that that's something uh, that the decision makers have, have said. This is going to allow more teams an opportunity to compete. It'll allow them to compete. Do you think it will change, though, who's actually in it? No, and uh, I've I've been adamant about that. It it absolutely expands the amount of teams that can compete. I think the same teams over and over win. And there's this idea that more access means that different recruits will start to pick maybe some of those teams that are in that you know eight to twelve instead of you know the top eight or the top six schools that we see every single year. And my pushback to that is I believe a program build starts with bringing in the right coach then they recruit the right caliber of player that trusts that that coach can develop them into an NFL-level player. And then once you accrue all that talent, that's when you start to win a championship. That's what Dabo did. That When Saban brought Alabama back, that's exactly how he did it. And you can see on the flip side, when schools make bad hires or coaches start bringing in the wrong players, they stop becoming championship contenders. Look at Texas. And so for me, I don't think that recruits are going to be uh, into this idea that I can, I'm going to not go to Ohio State to go to Penn State because Penn State's going to get in as the eight seed when Ohio State's going to be in as the four. I just I don't see that happening, and so that's why I see all of the same teams over and over again, even in this new format, winning championships. Yeah. Uh, I tend to agree with you on that. I do think it'll allow for some really cool moments, especially if they do it in December of those on-campus playoff games. I think that would be really cool in some instances. Um, but also sometimes it, sometimes it's a, it sounds like a good idea to have Auburn go play in Madison in December, but the reality of it is maybe it's not. Maybe even people in Madison don't want to be outside in December. <laughs> you know, cause they got enough beer around there. They'll feel fine. Yeah. Poof. 
Yeah, you're going to have to layer up, to say the least. Uh, here's Herbie one more on having a 12-team playoff and when it could start. If you talk to the players, they love it. Uh, the players are fired up because they want an opportunity to play in quote-unquote meaningful games. And by going to 12, you're going to open this thing up to now. You're going to be into November and even early December. And if you're in the top 20, uh, you're theoretically still playing games to try to have a chance to, who knows, teams get beat in front of you and you could still maybe make a run. So I, I think if this was inevitable. Don't think that this is going to happen, obviously, in 2021. More than likely not in 2022. I think the fastest they could get this thing turned around, you still have to get the Bulls to sign off on this. You got to get ESPN to sign off on this. My guess would be the 2023 season would be the fastest they could get this thing turned. I love Herbie, but the notion that the Bulls need to sign off of this is farcical. Mm-hmm. The Bulls don't need, you want the Bulls to sign off on right. it because you want the, everything that the Bulls provide. You don't need them. You don't need the Bulls at all. You could, you, you could create new Bulls. Just for this. You don't, you don't need the Bulls at all. You just want them because we like how the Bulls treat us. Sure. And that's fine. There's one other factor in this that we haven't touched on yet. And to me, it's a significant one in regard to Notre Dame. And we'll get to that coming up next. Bishop and Laurinaitis right here on The Fan. If it's Buckeye football you crave, you've come to the right place. And if it's day drinking you crave, you've also come to the right place. The Fan, Ohio sports destination. A show that knows its limitations. Still learn to control that. You're listening to Bishop and Laurinaitis. All right, final hour here on a Friday. Loving what I'm hearing from the Brad uh, Larson press conference. We played a little bit of that for you, and, and I think uh, everybody's going into this thing with eyes wide open in terms of what is expected of the job. AR and, uh, and Maddie Ice will have much more on this at the top of the hour um, as that press conference is, is wrapped up over there at, at Nationwide. Uh, the Basement Dr. Cardale Jones Celebrity Softball Game presented by Rikert Automotive. Coming to Huntington Park on Saturday, July 17th. Join Buckeye Greats as they swing for the fences and benefit the Buckeye Cruise for Cancer. Each ticket sold gets you a chance to win a cabin on the 2022 cruise at 971thefan.com for more info on that. So what I thought was astonishing about this college mm-hmm. football playoff, and remember that the athletic director at Notre Dame is on this, mm-hmm. and what jumped out to me was pretty straightforward. Hey, Notre Dame, you're not getting in. You No buy. You're not getting a buy because you have to be a conference champion. They don't do anything on accident. Do you think, and, and I don't think they would do that. Notre Dame is so powerful, even though they have not won a national title, they've not been what they were you know, in the heyday, but they have made the playoff twice um, in, during, in the playoff era, once in the, in the uh, BCS era, and then once in the playoff era. Does, does Notre Dame secretly want to join a conference? <sighs> Potentially. I mean... I think this last year is this the, is this the committee forcing them to? I think it's and I think athletic it's, director saying, "Hey, might not be the worst." I think it's the committee forcing them to. It's it's a very strong urging, but I also think that this 2020 football season also opened Notre Dame up to the idea because of how it ended up working out for them. It put them in a position to where they beat a Clemson team without Trevor Lawrence, and they were able to get the rematch in lost and still made it in to the playoff and that idea of not having to be perfect as Notre Dame to make it in because you don't have the conference championship was appealing to them now you put them in a position to where 
okay, you could still probably make the field if you're Notre Dame in general, but now let's dangle this little carrot out to you where you have the opportunity to be one of the four teams that gets a bye. You just have to join a conference. I think this is a, a strong urging that maybe it's time to to upset things a little bit and force Notre Dame to change the way they've done things. So this is Jack Swarbrick, the athletic director at Notre Dame, um, confirming that Notre Dame cannot qualify for a bye in the new 12-team college football playoff. He adds he looks forward to never hearing again about the 13th data point. Uh, Swarbrick is quoted as saying, I look forward to never hearing again about how we played one less game and don't have a conference championship. Um, it says 78% of the playoff bids have gone to just five teams, which doesn't help regular season interest. Notre Dame is one of those teams in the 78% of the bids. Um, I think, I, I don't know. I think it's fascinating. Um, I, I just wonder, I know this. I know how desperately Notre Dame loves being independent. You know how desperately they love being independent. And he does bring up a good point that now that, you know, the conference championship data point, they can get in, but they will be at a disadvantage because there will be a time when they are one of the four highest ranked teams. Sure. Like that's going to happen. Yep. They got a, they got a good program over there. I mean, they got the second best program in the North is yeah, what they have. They do. Um, and so I mean, you can't argue with that. So they've proven it. They've been to the playoff. Um, they're still a ways behind us. They're ways behind the halves, but they're, they 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 put offensive linemen in the pros. They put guys in the league. They, they got dudes. The only thing they don't have is guys on the outside consistently and quarterback play. But that you could apply to a lot of people. But everything else they're doing, and they recruit at a high level. They develop very very well. They got a taste of conference tournament conference play last year in the ACC, and I think you bring up a good point. Wasn't so bad. Mm-mm, not it's at not all. bad. It's pretty good. Like, it's okay. Playing for a championship's kind of cool. No shame in that. It, it's funny. Years ago, when we were talking conference expansion, you'd hear from Big Ten people, Ohio State people, you know, well, no, let's get Notre Dame and Oklahoma or whoever. But Notre Dame was always a team everybody said. Mm-hmm. And and the people that I've talked to at Notre Dame in, and people who would know at Notre Dame are adamant that Notre Dame, if Notre Dame was going to join a conference, it would never be this one. Because they feel like that would limit who they are. They feel like they're already in the Midwest. Notre Dame views themselves as a national university. Sure. So for them, the conferences that would have far more appeal would be the ACC Mm -hmm. because you would have the entire East Coast and you could play on the East Coast. You could play in the South, recruit in the South, those type of things. I think joining the ACC would help them tremendously. Their partnership with the ACC in terms of playing in, in, in the football schedule and in the the non-football sports is incredibly beneficial to them. The other, co- the only other conference to me that would make any sense for them, and I, I've heard this from Notre Dame people, is the Pac-12. That's interesting. That either of those would be preferable by wide margin over joining the Big Ten. I feel like the Pac-12 is that should never be a preference. And the the main reason I say that is because where's the interest in the West Coast? Like nobody nobody tunes in, and it would no, it would but bring their the intrigue. Interest, yes. Yeah, but their interest is being able to recruit the Catholic private schools in California, sure. like they have before. Concord de la Salle, yep. Modern Day, sure. those schools are ones that they've recruited historically, and they want to be able to continue to recruit it, right? So, and they feel like they don't need any help recruiting the Midwest. They're already here. They already have that footprint. What they need to do is continue to make sure they have a national footprint in recruiting. I'm curious what it'll mean for them. I'm curious if it'll if there will be pressure on them. I'm curious if they finish if they 
Let's say, for example, hypothetically speaking, Marcus Freeman takes over for Brian Kelly in three years, and Marcus Freeman's a dynamo, which I think he'll be. Mm-hmm. If that's the case, and he starts recruiting like a madman mm-hmm. and takes it just that next step, Brian Kelly takes him to right to the precipice, but Freeman or somebody like that takes him to the next step, and they're consistently ranked in the you know second, third, fourth in the country, and they're having to play play-in games. Does that change? Like if if Notre Dame were what we are right now, yep. Would that change their thinking? I think it would have to, honestly. Like that's Don't you think? P- playing the playing game is an issue if you are the number two team in the country, right? Yeah, I wonder. We'll run all this stuff by Bill Bender. He's one of our one of our great friends. He'll join us coming up next from the Sporting News. Bishman Laurinaitis, right here on the Fan. Never short on opinions. Always short on class. Common Man and T-Bone. Weekdays from 3 to 6. The Fan, Ohio sports destination. Bo is well-groomed. James brings the boom. You're listening to Bishop and Laurinaitis. Hey, Bo Bishop, Joshua Perry today on the program. Here on the Fan, time to get out on the Brian Heaney Cooling Systems Fan Guest Hotline for a visit with our great friend Bill Benner, the Sporting News. Well, we're going to 12, buddy. Uh, going to happen in 2023. Follow the money. That's where you get the answers. There's going to be a lot of money made off of this. Um, the questions that came to your mind when you start to hear the details of this, what is most prominent? Well, the plan is not bad if you're going to expand to 12. But uh, Joshua had my biggest question. He just tweeted it a little bit ago. Is My general feeling is that in any given year, there aren't eight teams capable of winning the national championship. Uh, maybe at best six or seven. And that's not even in the current landscape. That's pretty much, I would say, since I've been alive. Mm-hmm. Hello? Yeah, that, that, that's the tricky part, right, Bill? Is is what they're hoping is does, if it goes to, does it open it up? Because I'm with you. In many instances, and you and I are around the same age, many instances I could tell you, at the beginning of the year, they, who they could be. Now, I do think that that's become more finite with the BCS and certainly with the college football playoff as the talent is shrinking and going to the same four or five schools. We're just lucky enough that one of them is, is us here following Ohio State. Um, you and I are old enough to remember Colorado winning a national title or Georgia Tech winning a national title, Washington winning national titles. Um, so there's some precedent there. It's been a long time since we've had one of those teams sneak in, and my guess is the hope is that this will open it up to them. I don't know if it will. Do you? Not in the short term because, yeah. I, I, again, I, I bring this up every time. It's when you deal with these four- and five-star recruits, they can say, oh, I love the tradition, I love the fight song, I love the university at the end of the day, the, the truly elite recruits are interested in getting in the NFL as a first-round pick in three years. And uh, Alabama and Ohio State do that better than anybody else right now. And they'll continue to do that. I mean, Nick Saban just signed an eight-year. He's going to be there for eight more years. I don't see Ryan Day going anywhere. I don't see Dabo going anywhere. And I don't see Lincoln Riley going anywhere. Um, so maybe we get some upsets in that round of eight. That's another flaw in this thing is, that if you get a first-round buy, you don't get an on-campus game. I don't understand that one either. Yeah, I, I think it's a tough situation. You brought up kind of my biggest thing about it, too, when it comes to this idea that it's going to level out recruiting is Ohio State's just going to roll out, hey, last two years we've had 10 draft picks apiece. We have the most first-rounders in the history of the NFL draft. Quarterbacks want to play for Day. They want to play for Lincoln Riley. They want to play for Dabo. Um, so I'm definitely with you there. But you kind of brought up the thing, too, about the kind of the scheduling. You don't get 
the on-campus game if you're one of the top four, but you do get the buy. But Bo and I were talking, and this becomes a, a four-week ordeal, and we're just trying to figure out. You know, it's probably going to be one of those situations where you're still you're playing those first-round games on New Year's, but you you feel like they should move up the schedule, try to get those games on campus in the middle of December, or do you like where they're going with this thing? Well, I think you got to cut the regular season to eleven for starters because there's no reason to play 12 games at that point. We can figure out who the best teams are in 11 games. Um, I think you've got to, you know, do think about a school like Cincinnati, who I love what Luke Fickle's done down there. I love the program. I, I love that they were right on the cusp of the playoff conversation. But if you're being realistic about it, could Cincinnati as an eight seed last year run through Georgia, Alabama, Notre Dame, and the Ohio State Clemson winner? Probably not. It's just a numbers game, and, and being able to run, this isn't the NFL. So, and my other big talking point, and you would know this as a player, and, and just the intense focus you would have on the Michigan game or the Penn State game, it is going to change the way the regular season is watched, dramatically, in my opinion, because it's not no longer about that one game. If you High State plays Michigan and beats them, they may play them three weeks later, and that feels a little bit like Brown Steelers to me. Yeah, and I agree. I agree with you on that. Um, I think the other thing you have to be careful with here, Bill, is there is this notion that there's no such thing as too much college football. you got to make sure that the ratings are still there. And if you're playing this playoff in the middle of January to the end of January, like if they don't start, if they do the, the, the campus things in early January and then you got three more weeks of this thing, are we sure there's an appetite for that? There isn't Columbus. There is for you and I. There is for college football diehards. But the sports population in general, I mean, you start to move on. The NFL owns January. You don't want to go head-to-head with the NFL. And that's not just about head-to-head in terms of a viewership window. It's also just from an attention standpoint. So oh, I think this a, is... Yeah, I'll, yeah, you're exactly right, Bo, because I'll, I'll give you the example I always use. Is when I go to a college football playoff championship game, it's typically in that second January weekend, and we're trying to get the content out and people to click on it and those kind of things. I mean, I'm pretty good, but nobody clicks on that stuff. And and, and the reason why is because it's up against sometimes the wild card weekend and sometimes the divisional playoff weekend. And you don't stand a chance, you know, when those things are going on. You imagine a college football semifinal propped up against an NFL divisional game. The the college football playoff is going to lose there. No, definitely. I, I agree with that. Uh, one of the other things that popped up in this is the uh, top four conference champs get that box in the first round, and Notre Dame is not going to be eligible for that because they don't play in a conference. They won't be a conference champ. Do you think this was kind of direct pressure for Notre Dame to maybe change the way that they operate and join a conference? Well, I mean, Notre Dame athletic director Jack Swarbick was on this subcommittee, and I asked him that question yesterday is how can you – support something that won't give you a first-round buy, knowing that you've been in the top four twice in the last seven years. And and he used the sarcastic remark of, you know, and he was joking, but he said, you know, I don't want anybody to say that we should be playing in a conference championship again. And he has a point. But to me, you're, you're almost penalizing Notre Dame for a 12-0 and season. Their schedule is pretty good year in, year out. You look at it next year, they play Wisconsin, USC, Cincinnati. I think North Carolina's on there, too. Um, I do think, at the end of the day, it is a pressure move to get them to probably join the ACC. 
because I thought that experiment worked pretty well last year for the Irish and for the ACC. But it's just weird thinking that if Notre Dame were to go 12-0 and and should be one or two, that they could end up in a 5-12 game. It sure is. Honestly, Bill, it made me think that maybe Swarbrick secretly wants to go to the ACC. And it could be. That could be their end, end, their end game because Notre Dame's going to want to compete. And, you know, I think this system with 12 – Notre Dame would be a playoff regular. Ohio State, yes. I don't think they would have missed in the last decade under a 12-team format, and Alabama, same deal. So the teams that get there are going to get there. I just think now the focus when you're watching on Saturday is going to be on playoff seeding. It's going to be what does this mean for the 5-12. to 12. We're going to argue about those at-large schools, 7-12. to 12. And um, just a little bit, it just, you know, for a sport that – revolves around that whole idea that this game means everything 365 days a year. A couple of those games are going to mean a little bit less. There's no way around it. Yeah, it's kind of a difficult pill to swallow when you kind of hear it like that, but I think it's heading the same way. Uh, Bowen, I always talk about bowl games as a reward for the regular season. For a lot of teams who are playing in some of the small games, whether people are really watching or not, um, it's a big reward for them. What happens to some of these smaller bowls? Do, does it take the luster off of a team, um, maybe like a Rutgers, for example, who's up and coming that finally makes a bowl game, and everybody's talking about a 12-team playoff? Well, as a Mac grad, so I looked at that right away. Uh, in the last seven years, Western Michigan would have made the playoff. And you think, hey, that's pretty cool. That's something as an Ohio University grad that now there's something to shoot for. Last year, two uh, group of five schools would have made the playoff, Coastal and Cincinnati. So th- I'm all for that. But at the same time, you know, when I was in school, the MAC had – it was a big deal that the MAC got a second bull bit. Now they have five. Um, and it's very important to have those. But in general – and Nick Saban's been right about this from day one – all of the focus will be on the 12 teams making the playoff. None of the focus will be on those second, third, even – you know, upper tier bulls anymore. And that's just the reality of it. And it's already like that now. You know, it's interesting. And I'll get you out of here on this bill is how, you know, we still bow to the bulls because, well, we know why, because we've been to bulls and bulls treat us really well. And if you think they treat us well as media guys, go see how they handle the administrators mm-hmm. and how well they treat them. And we like it. You like to be treated well. You like nice hotel rooms and amenities and free food, all those things win. And so you continue to take care of them. And I would assume that the path forward when you think about that, that when it's down to eight, that you're that the the fight for, to be one of those four, to be one of the next two and the one, that that will be the six bowls that matter, and everything else, I don't know if they're sustainable. And I, honestly, I don't care because, and I'm not. A, I understand certainly that the smaller school percentage perspective of this thing, but there's a lot of bowl games with nobody watching, and I'm talking about in attendance and everything. But this will almost shut the faucet off, won't it? Won't it just if you're not in this thing? Where are you? You're nowhere. Right. And you're talking to somebody. I sit and watch the Bahamas Bowl and the Boca Raton Bowl and, and try to figure out how many sponsors you can get into one bowl game and all that kind of stuff. But <laughs> it, it will destroy that as we know it, I think. And, um, you know, there, there are things about this that in 48 hours I, I kind of like and there are things that I don't. But at the end of the day, it, it's definitely going to change the bowl system. And as a Mac grad, again, I mean, that Shreveport, Louisiana Independence Bowl might not happen. And I'm okay with that because now I have the illusion of Ohio University maybe making a run, being an 11 seed and playing 
Georgia. And that's really all we've ever asked for is an honest chance to win it. Yeah, yeah, that's cool. Bill, always great talking to you, buddy. Appreciate you and appreciate your work, my friend. Hey, you guys are the best. Take care. Have a good weekend. All right, that's our great friend Bill Bender of the Sporting News joining us on the Brian Heating Cooling Systems Fan Guest Hotline. Three things on a Friday up next. Bishop and Laurinaitis right here on The Fan. Radio. It opens your mind to stimulating conversation and live sports. And best of all, it still costs zero dollars. The Fan, Ohio's sports destination. The classiest show on this station, which isn't saying much. This is Bishop and Laurinaitis. I can't report that two of the landscapers are back. There we go. We're laying stone. That's a big win. It's a huge win. Now I need about eight more. Well, we could really get some work in, but I'll take two <laughs> of them for now. I mean, four yesterday, two for half day today. That's a win. Uh, time for uh, three things on a Friday. Hit it, chopper. One, two, one, two, three things with Bishop and Laurenitis. Sponsored by Custom Air. Custom Air. Custom Solutions. Custom Comfort. Number one for me, the Euro 2021, it's actually Euro 20, but they're playing it in 2021, kicks off today. This is probably the second best national soccer tournament where they use national teams next to the World Cup. And then you could even argue that from a competition standpoint, it's better because there's good teams in Europe. For example, in group play this weekend, Germany will play France, and those are two of the five best clubs in the world and the last two World Cup winners. That's going to be awesome. You want to see passion. You want to see cool. I'm not sure what they're doing with fans or not over there uh, in Europe, but just in terms of the quality of play will be exemplary. And if you've missed the World Cup, you've missed that type of stuff, check it out. It starts today, Euro 20, kicking off in Euro 21. Might have to check that out. Um, My three things are kind of going to build on each other. So my first thing last night for dinner, I wanted Waffle House. So I left the house, went up to... Why wouldn't you? The Waffle House on 3637, right there in Sunbury or Delaware, whatever it is. And they were closed. So I was like, all right, Polaris isn't too far. So I drove to closed. Polaris. They were closed. Drove to Polaris. I'm like, yeah, I'm about to get some Waffle House. Pull up to the Waffle House in Polaris. That was closed, too. I'm like, damn it. So I'm like, all right, cool. The one on 23, I can just, you know, hit Sankis, hit Lizelle. I'm there. Drive over there. And they were closed, too. So no Waffle House for me last night to be continued. Isn't Waffle House used to, like, judge the severity yes, of hurricanes? Yes, they're always open. <laughs> always open. I don't know. So you guys got to talk about it all show. I just wanted to add, I don't think the 12-team field will hurt the importance of the regular season any more than the playoff already has. So I think it's actually going to help it because now there might be some games that lose their luster or the idea that you have to be undefeated goes away. But can I interest you in, and I can be interested in this, a late-season Iowa-Wisconsin game that now all of a sudden has some playoff implications, even if they're not going to be the team that's going to go all the way. It's still fun to add that, and I think it's going to add more wrinkles to the regular season than we've previously had. It's a good point. It's a good point. We've, we view everything from the perspective of Ohio State. Sure. Um, and, and, and you just, you know, you and Brad Zeitner, you guys are worried about Iowa in town. So that, that's true. It does, it does bring, bring that into more importance and, and make those games interesting. Uh, number two for me, let's stick with the soccer. Uh, I just thought about this moment, and you think about how far the sport has come. And we saw the training center that the crew opened, which is just extraordinary. You saw the, uh, the rings and the new stadium, and it, you almost have to pinch yourself that all of that is a reality, right? Then you add to that, I saw this, Christian Polasek, who won the Champions League at Chelsea, back in Hershey, PA, putting on a soccer clinic for kids where he grew up playing. We've waited forever for the golden generation of United States soccer. You're in it. This is it. 
This is the start of it. Some of our best players, our best athletes are now playing the sport, and you're seeing it in the international level. It's cool to see. That is really cool. Uh, my second thing, so leave that Waffle House on 23. I'm driving back up north. I'm like, all right, what am I going to get to eat? There's a spot. It's a gas station. It's called Friendship Kitchen. People who are familiar with sheets and, and the type of food that goes on there, Friendship has way better food. I'm like, all right, let me stop in here. I'll get some chicken tenders. Call it a night. I go in there, and the kitchen part is closed. So no friendship for me. Did you tell them you were Emmy nominated? Just <laughs> open it up care. for me. Barry. The <laughs> they don't care. My second one, we watched In the Heights last night. It was great, but my main point here is there was a there was a scene where they're at a dance club and the moves were amazing. And I look over at Jayla and I go, how long do you think it would take me to learn those moves? And she just sort of rolls her eyes <laughs> at me and I go, no, no, no. Full-time work, like 40 hours a week, two months. Do you think I could get it down? She looks at me and she goes, 40 hours a week, two months. And then she kind of looks at me and she just goes, no. So I guess there's no amount of work I can put in to learn to dance. <laughs> You're a good dancer. I've seen you dance. I've also seen how she looks at you when you dance. So maybe it's best that you don't. Um, number three for me. So I became aware yesterday of a product called Rambo Electric Bikes. Mm. And let's just say that I will be having one of these relatively soon. This thing's unbelievable. So you you can pedal, but then it can go up to 25 miles an hour, and it's got, like, motorcycle tires. Mm. I'm in. Like, you had me. This is so cool. I mean, this is this will be what I drive around on, and this might be my new regular ride. I'm, I'm down with this stuff, man. Sounds great for you. So back. off-road. <laughs> well, maybe, maybe it'll help. Build that core up, Chops. Sure. I've got to check the price on that because it does sound a little interesting. My ah. final thing, I leave Friendship. I'm obviously pissed off by this point. My wife, Madison, sends me a text. She says, hey, because she got my location, trying to see where I was going to eat. I was filling her in the whole way. She's like, go across the street to Dairy Queen. Pick me up a blizzard. So I drive across the street, pull up to Dairy Queen, and the line is all the way out of the parking lot. And I just texted her, and I'm like, I'm coming home. So... It was a, a long journey what for you nothing. Eat? I ended up going back up to 3637 got Wendy's. There you go. At least you got some. Never heard of Waffle House closed ever. It's a bad deal. Bad deal. Never heard of that. My last one, the caption from JLo's latest Instagram pic and it was of Kit the dog. She says, "My whole heart." And I say that fully aware that I have a whole husband at home. So now I'm second place in my own house, and I, I don't even see this. You don't even say it to my face. She puts it on Instagram for other people to see. Just keeps you on your toes, buddy. Have a great weekend. Joshua, pleasure doing the show with you, my friend, all week Always long. Great fun. job out of you. Always good hooking up with you. Uh, we're back next week. Rothman and Ice up next. Have a great weekend, everybody. Bishop and Laurinaitis right here on The Fan. Pulling up to Mickey D's just for drinks? Oh, yeah, that's me. Nothing extra, just perfection and a straw. Coming in hot for the coldest cups on the block. Because there are drinks. Then there are drinks from McDonald's. Mix things up with any size lemonade or sweet tea for $1.49. Perfect with our classic fries. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba.